Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. You won't find the uh, Kelly Harrington update in the papers this morning because she just won the fight at 6 o'clock this morning, uh, but will fight again on Sunday for the gold medal. So that's the final day of the Olympics itself and hopefully another gold medal for Ireland. So be interesting to watch that. Set your clocks for early Sunday morning. But weather-wise, uh, the papers do talk about records being broken across the month of July and you can understand why the maximum temperature records were broken at weather stations around the country last month several stations recording uh, heat waves spanning consecutive days <clears throat> meanwhile much of europe of course the further east you go the hotter it is and i see the mirror this morning talking about uh, blazes raging in places like greece and turkey with temperatures climbing to 46 degrees add the humidity to that oh my god that is hot and it's sparking fires an awful lot of people have had to leave their homes there have been deaths as well unfortunately speaking on the topic of deaths most of the papers that this morning on their front page, they carry the inquest yesterday into the deaths of a father and two sons in Kenturk. As the papers tell us this morning, it was a, a verdict of unlawful killing was returned. Mark O'Sullivan uh, was shot to death by his father and brother. They then took their own lives. Now, I'll have some more on that in a few minutes' time with Barry Roach at the Irish Times, but he's got the front page of the Times this morning. Murdered son feared his father would kill him. Um, it all had to do with land and inheritance and a will. Uh, the Echo this morning call it uh, like a caged animal, man, animal living in fear of his father and his brother. Of course, he and his, Mark and his mother Anne had moved out of the family home for a period of time and went back again, uh, much to the worry of, of friends and neighbours. Uh, the examiners say that the Kenturk killing was, uh, the, was in the wake of a feud uh, and many people gave evidence of the inquest yesterday and we'll walk our way through that in a few minutes time but um, many of the Red Tops have um, a quote from Anne O'Sullivan, which she saw, I don't know whether it was her dead or her dying son on the floor of his bedroom. Uh, she screamed, oh my God, what have ye done? And that's the front of the mirror today. The star calls it farmhouse killers carnage vow, uh, where they said that, um, you know, particularly uh, Dermot, where he said if he didn't get his way, there would be carnage and the lights would never be on in the farmhouse again. I will leave a trail of destruction. In fact, Leaving a Trail of Destruction is the headline in the sun today. Uh, so more on that in, in a few minutes' time. Uh, meanwhile, of course, there are other stories making the papers today, and they include uh, inspectors who are going to go on a blitz, apparently, of inspections on indoor hospitality premises to check for compliance. Now, I don't know whether they'll be doing it after five or half past five, or whether they're going to be working late into the evenings to do these indoor hospitality blitzes, but I'm passing it on as a warning because it's a story that makes the today, And there are six Catholic bishops now, six of them, who have uh, said communions can go ahead in August. <clears throat> now, none in Cork, actually. Uh, Cork bishops are holding their powder dry. In fact, Bishop Paul Colton this morning says we shouldn't have a pick and mix approach to health guidelines, which is something that they should be telling to government ministers and Catherine Zappone and those at her uh, swanky lunch in the Marion. Apparently, there was nothing technically wrong with the 50 of them. We've all been laboring under a misapprehension. By all accounts, you guys can have an outdoor party, you can rent a courtyard, you can rent the outdoors of a hotel, or you can take over the entire outdoor of a pub and put 200 people in it. So you can have a party, a 21st, a 40th, a 50th, the retirement, a wedding, 
uh, christening, whatever you want. Um, this morning's papers talk of the garden party, of course, and doesn't take long before the newspapers, particularly the mail, tell us what they ate. Uh, I'd like to see the guest list for it, incidentally. I know that uh, the Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar, was there, and while there probably was nothing wrong with regards to COVID laws and regulations, um, it was morally wrong, and it, optically it was wrong, and it just shouldn't have happened. They should not be sitting down to uh, 50 people um, uh, lunches in the Merion uh, when everybody else of course is doing what they're told and towing the line so they have the menu in all of the papers today and it's a damn fine one I might come back to it a little later on but the cabinet has now admitted that parties of 200 are actually legal and it took the Catherine Zappone hotel row uh, to work that one out but they are telling us in the mirror this morning that you will be wearing face masks indoors until Christmas time, according to Michal Martin. He said that there is no uh, deliverance day as such and there is no end day. It will just phase out and fizzle out slowly. And that's why he's, he's thinking that masks will be around until Christmas. Is that up to Christmas or over Christmas, into the new year? Maybe the new year resolution might be no more masks. Uh, very sadly, of course, we were reporting yesterday on the death of Father Con Cronin at the age of 72, and uh, bus driver, dad, and husband, Mark Wills from Ballancolic, died at the age of 51 in the uh, bus crash in Monkstown. And the Echo this morning says that funeral details are being finalised for the two men who died in uh, Monkstown <coughs> on uh, on Tuesday. Papers also, you heard it in the news there, so I won't stay much with it, but they talk of a reservoir of syphilis. I always thought that syphilis was a disease from the past, but it isn't. It, it never went away. And apparently it's, uh, I was going to use the word raging, I suppose it's not raging, but they are talking about 400 new cases of syphilis identified this year um, and already this year. And that was the total amount for 2018, by all accounts. And the papers are also talking about a Garda investigation. What are they investigation? A woman who opened the back door of Mihal Martin's Lexus motor car, the state car, and shouted at him. And they're wondering, how did she manage to get so close to the car? How did she manage to open the door and confront him? Um, so that's called a security breach, and apparently there has to be an investigation into it. I'd be more... <laughs> I'd be more interested to find out what she shouted at him, what was on her mind. Probably wanted to give him a bit of her mind. And then lots of different stories regarding people who are going on their halls or staying at home. And the mail this morning have a story saying the Cliffs of Moher, the Cliffs of Moher is the country's favourite tourism spot. It's pretty spectacular, to be quite honest with you. But whether or not it should be the number one, I don't know. People from Clare will disagree with me. They also talk of Dublin Zoo coming in the top five. Fota came into the top five. The Giant's Causeway, which is amazing, actually. The Giant's Causeway. The only thing, do you ever notice about the Giant's Causeway? Is that it's an awful lot smaller than you, <laughs> that you expect it to be. It's when you get there. Because I don't know, is it the photographs? You see the scale of it. When you're there, it's, I mean, it is stunning. But I was surprised that it wasn't bigger. Uh, maybe if it was in Cork, it'd be an awful lot bigger. But we certainly have, of course, the uh, the Blarney Stone. The uh, Titanic in Belfast is also worth a punt. I've been to that, actually. It is certainly worth it, a trip to Belfast. Uh, Tato Park is in there. New Grange is in there. The Book of Kells, things like that. You know, the, the usual suspects in the Guinness Storehouse. So it's interesting. How many of those you've actually ticked off your bucket list just yet? But the story that I absolutely love this morning... Does anybody watch the TV shopping channels, right? There are loads of them, particularly at night they all come on. Well, the man who started all of that, uh, Mr. Ronco, they used to call him. His name is Ron uh, Papay, uh, Papel, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He died this week at the age of 86. Uh, he's the man um, who came up with all of these 
useless gadgets that you ended up buying that you never wanted and probably never used. And there's a lovely double-page spread. He's the guy who came up with the catchphrase, you know, when you think that they've told you the price and they're moving on to the next item, but all of a sudden the announcer says, but wait, there's more. If you buy before Friday, we'll also throw in this and we'll also give you that. And before you know it, you got a whole swag of gear. So it's a lovely article on him and the amount of money that he made. And he eventually sold his company then for $55 million. Apparently, he was the... If you looked at everybody that was ever on television in America, or anywhere in the world for that matter, he was on television for more hours than any other celebrity in American history. And a little later this morning, I'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about the gadgets and yokes that he managed to sell. Because there's a really long list of them. So we'll come back to all of that and lots more besides. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. For the best value in store, follow the red bubbles. Tesco. Every little help. Okay, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106. And uh, I have a lot to get through this morning because I'll be coming back to some topics from yesterday as well. But I do want to start. And let me just give out a, 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 just a gentle warning. You might find my conversation with Barry Roach of the Irish Times uh, upsetting are disturbing because it is a very and upsetting case. I'm talking, of course, about the inquest yesterday into the deaths of a father, two sons, October of last year, and a verdict of unlawful killing in the case of Marcus Sullivan and verdicts of suicide in the case of his brother Dermot and his father Tig. They shot, they shot Mark in a dispute over who would inherit the family farm. Um, and then they uh, went to an area known as the Fort, near a fairy fort on their own lands, and they shot themselves. There was a lot of evidence in court yesterday. Barry Roach was there for the Irish Times, and he joins me. He joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Um, it's it's incredibly sad. It, it really and truly is. Uh, would it be would it be would it be um, a good place to start as to uh, just to recap on the events? And of course, this was all recalled yesterday um, uh, as to as to what happened on that fateful day. Uh, October 25th, 2020? Yeah, I think that, I mean, there was just a huge amount in this thing that yeah. went on for about four hours yesterday. But I think maybe the best thing would be to do the events of the day, first yeah. of all. Yes. And then we'll go back into the background. I agree. That's okay with you. Yeah. And, and try and paint the picture that led to the terrible tragedy that it was. Um, as you say, it relates to the O'Sullivan family from Raheen um, near Cantor, uh, on the Castle Magnus side. Tyg, the father, was 59. Mark, the eldest son, was 26. And Tyg, the younger... Oh, sorry, Dermot, the younger son, was 23. Uh, on the day, the, the, there had been a dispute over land, as you say, and we'll we come to that in, in, in more detail later, but the family had been out. Um, Mark and his mother, Anne, who was terminally ill at the time and tragically has died since, they were out of the house for two weeks. She had gone for some treatment to Dublin initially and then um, a wound opened. She had got back to the Bonsecours, I think, in Cork. But when she was discharged from there, she went to stay with her cousins, the Sherlocks, uh, Louis Sherlock, who lived about two miles away. Herself and Mark stayed there for two weeks. Uh, they returned October the 25th, uh, the Sunday, that afternoon, and the events then began to unfold uh, the following morning. She and was awoken by the sound of movement uh, on the landing, and then she heard noises. She didn't realise at the time what they were, but then she realised there, there were gunshots, and she emerged to discover Tyg and Dermot uh, standing outside Mark's bedroom with two semi-automatic rifles and firing in, and they fired one shot. After firing the, the initial shots, they fired another 
shot each. And Dermot said to her, there had been correspondence with solicitors, and he said to her, that's the trail of destruction from your solicitor's letter. Live with that now. Uh, they took her phone, her mobile phone, and the cordless landline phone in the house and smashed those with a hammer so she couldn't ring for help. She went to get a car key, I think it was Mark's car she was hoping to use, but they had changed the locks on the door, on the gate, sorry, so she couldn't drive out. So if you bear in mind, she was uh, seriously ill, but she had to travel about 500 metres, half a mile or so, uh, I think, on foot over rough terrain to get to her nearest neighbours, the Cronins, and Cronin and Jackie arrived there sometime after seven, told them what happened. They contacted Cantor Garda Station. Uh, Garda responded quickly from Cantor to about three, uh, three cars came out. Uh, they realised that they could be dealing with a situation where somebody was seriously ill in the case of Mark being shot. Sorry, I should say as well that Anne Cronin or Anne O'Sullivan had gone into the room and she'd seen Mark slumped yes. on the floor there, yes. covered in blood, lifeless. Uh, he would seem, and I suppose I'll come to that in, in, in terms of the details maybe about that in a moment, but going back to the situation the Gardaí arrived, they formed two cordons, an inner cordon and an outer cordon. They requested assistance from the emergency response unit, who are sort of the tactically most advanced team we have in the country for that. They came from Dublin. And there were support, armed support units then there, the, the, the local version in Cork. I think they came from Mayo and they came from Waterford and Limerick as well. So there was a huge force of Gardaí involved uh, in these two cordons. And because uh, they obviously thought they were talking, de- dealing with people who still had weapons. Yeah. yeah, they were aware, obviously, that the guns were legally held. So they were aware of that and they weren't sure whether Mark was being held hostage. What sort of scenario it was? It's called uh, it's, um, um, hostage barricade or suicide incident. That's how they approached. Yes. Uh, they also had the uh, Garda Air Support Unit. But over the course of the morning, in attempts, they couldn't ring the phone line because they were smashed, so they couldn't get through there and couldn't get through on mobile. So there were constant attempts, I understand, from the Guardian of the Inner Cordon under uh, the Senior Commander, uh, Inspector Sean McCarthy, to try and make contact, but they weren't getting anywhere. So a decision was made, I think, about 12 o'clock to go in. The ERU and the ASU led, and they were followed by paramedics, and I didn't realise they, they go in the full... Uh, protective gear as well, Kevlar and all that and they found Mark in the bedroom and he was pronounced dead at uh, 12.46 uh, uh, by Dr. Adrian Murphy a consultant, uh, emergency consultant uh, consultant in emergency medicine at CUH the air support unit was patrolling or surveying the area and they spotted two bodies lying in the field about 500 metres from the farmhouse. Again, the ERU and the ASU went in, they approached them and found the bodies of Tyke and Dermot who'd also been shot uh, a single woundage. They were pronounced dead by Dr. Murphy at 147. We heard evidence yesterday from Detective Sergeant David O'Leary. He's from the Garda Technical Bureau and a uh, ballistics expert. He said that Garda recovered two legally held firearms, a .22 Squares Bingham semi-automatic rifle and a .22 calibre CZ bolt rifle. The, action, the difference would be that with the semi-automatic, the uh, cartridges are discharged automatically, whereas you have to recycle the, one, the bolt rifle with the manually. Mm. Uh, and the, the next point, I suppose, was that he, did, he found uh, that the cartridges in the field uh, led him, or suggested to him very strongly, that uh, Tyke had been, sorry, Jim had been shot once, uh, and then with the semi-automatic weapon, and then Tyke used the same weapon to shoot himself, and the gun was found the semi-automatic.
automatic weapons so near to Tyke. So that was the sequence of their suicides, he believed. That Dermot, Dermot died first and his dad second. And then dad second, yeah. yeah. Then back in the, in the, it transpires Mark was hit, I think there may have been eight shots fired into, into the Mark's bedroom and he was hit uh, a number of times. Um, they recovered cartridges. Most of the damage seems to be done with the semi-automatic weapon, but they, he, there some bullets um, fragmented, so they weren't um, examinable as it were, so he couldn't say that he wasn't hit by the bolt-action rifle. But, but he was hit seven but, times to seven the torso, times. head and defensive wounds to um, the arm. And we heard from Dr. Margaret Bolster, uh, the assistant state pathologist then, and she said he would have died very rapidly and that the cause of death would have been traumatic uh, brain injury with uh, extensive lacerations to the lungs and liver gotcha. due to multiple gunshot wounds. In the case of the other two, she said they would have died from traumatic brain injury due to gunshot wounds to the mouth. They both, I won't go into the detail of it, mm-hmm. but... Um, yeah. I will come back. I will come back to that because I know there were there were, we, we know of of letters um, that uh, yeah, I know of a letter from that Mark left in his mother's medicine bag. But we also heard of letters that Tig and Dermot had, but they were never entered in as evidence, were they? They weren't entered into evidence. Um, one of them, uh, this letter we wrote about it at the time uh, back in October, was uh, a lengthy letter that Dermot had um, in his jeans pocket that was found by the guardie at the field, as it were. That wasn't read into evidence, but my understanding is that that set out his grievance and his reasons for the whole thing. Uh, And then at the post-mortem in CUH on the day after, I think, they found this letter. Obviously, the scenes were being preserved and the bodies were being preserved, but it was, of course, going through uh, Tyg's clothing. They found this letter from him, a two-page letter, again, presumably setting out his reasons for the way things um, transpired. But we did hear that Mark had written a letter. No, it wasn't signed and wasn't dated, but Detective Sergeant O'Leary said from forensics examination in terms of handwriting style and in terms of um, actual DNA, Gary were satisfied that it had been written by Mark and that was found in his mother's medicine bag. That's right. And I'll just read some of that for you to give an indication of where that poor man was at, at that time. It's undated, but we would presume that maybe in the, the days or weeks beforehand. He said, I no longer feel safe at home. My own safety and my mother's is in danger. Raheem, that's the home place, has always been my home and it causes me much distress that it is no longer a safe haven. Since my mother's diagnosis, I have been the primary carer, which I would do in a heartbeat a hundred times over. But the stress both my brother and Tiger causing is becoming unbearable. It causes me much distress that it has come to this, that both my mental and physical health has deteriorated. Yet, my brother and Tiger claim the same while causing an overland. My brother believes he's entitled to the vast majority of the farm, which I believe is wrong. He developed this sense of entitlement with no encouragement from Mam, the title owner, but encouraged by Tig. Um, he goes on and said that over several months there have been several incidents in which Tig and Dermot had verbally assaulted him and his mother to the extent that my brother is saying either give him the farm or he's committing suicide, to which Tig coaxed him along and chiming in and say he would kill himself too. He'd also kill himself if his only son, quote, his only son didn't get what he wanted. Mark said, this is childish behavior, bullying behaviour and it's ex- is this childish bullying behaviour is unacceptable. And he said that happened between the middle of July and the end of July, roughly on the 22nd. He said that he stupidly made an agreement that was not made of his free will just to calm them from doing something stupid. And we heard about that and I, I, I covered later in, um, in the background piece 
for. That he agreed. He agreed. He yeah. agreed. Yeah, but he, it was he, under under duress. He agreed to so. some split of the land that yeah, his brother yeah. was happy with, but he yeah, did it under but, duress. Yeah. Uh, he said when they went to Dublin for his mother's surgery, he began to feel more human again. Human again, uh, and he said he was even free to go to the bathroom without fearing of them attacking his mother. But since coming home, I've reverted back, being mentally and physically drained from fear. There is two of them, and they're coming. They're becoming more and more desperate, which I fear will get physical. He said, as I say, we don't know the date of this now, but we presume it's in the the, the, the maybe the two or three weeks before okay. the. the Saturday, Sunday, where it escalated to a new level. My brother threatened to leave, quote, a trail of destruction behind him and said there would be, quote, no lights on in, Rah- in Raheen ever again. Make what you wish of these statements, but they are objectively threatening. I've also endured personal attacks from them both to do my weight and my skill set. I can overcome these, but threatening me and my mother, I cannot. He said, I feel like a ch- caged animal. We've been constantly prodded by two abusive captors. So Dr. Kennedy, Dr. Mike Kennedy, the coroner read that into evidence. And, and did he write that letter because he had a fear that they would kill him and try and make it out to be suicide? Yes, uh, that we heard evidence from a witness yesterday called um, Clara Lucy. Uh, Mark had done a degree in law in UL in 2017 and then he did a master's in UCC in 2018 and after that he started working with KPMG uh, in the Mall and that's where he met Clara Lucy who was also working there. They became good friends and they used to message each other. They'd meet and they'd message. But on the 10th of October, which would have been whatever it is, just over 40 before the um, 15 days, he told her in a message that he feared for his life. He said that he thought his father, Tygen Dermot, would kill him and try to make it look as though it was suicide. He said he wasn't suicidal. That wasn't the case. And if anything happened to her, to him, Clara should go to the Gardaí with the messages he had sent. And she did subsequently. So that was one. And then we heard also from... um, well, sorry, a statement, an interview statement, uh, a woman called Shamila Ramon. She was a friend with, of Mark. She uh, became friends with him when they were in Limerick together, and she actually paid a very moving tribute at his funeral. Um, or, well, she's abroad, but it was read on her behalf, and she said some interesting things. Uh, in the course of the, the statement to Guardian, we heard it yesterday. Um, she'd been talking to Mark, and Mark said, uh, I'm not sure in the timeline this, but he said that he thought. Dermot was a bit spoiled. He said Dermot used to get his, his father cut up turf and timber and Dermot would sell it and keep the money for himself. Mark thought he was obsessed with money. He was always trying to find ways to make money. Mark also said that when they found out that their mother had cancer and was terminally ill, Dermot smirked and smiled, whereas Mark was uh, smirked and, and smiled, whereas Mark was devastated with the news. Because somebody somewhere spoke of an unbreakable bond between uh, Mark and his mother, didn't they? Yes, and it seems very much that Dermot started working out in the farm a lot with his father. No, his father worked as a mechanic in Greenhall Motors and Butterman, but obviously they were cutting timber in the farm and so forth. And um, from about 2016, he spent a lot of time with Tyg and uh, I think it was Anna, Anna Sullivan, as they say, obviously tragically passed away in April, but Gardy had taken a lot of statements yes, from her in the immediate yeah. aftermath. And in one of those, she said that Dermot adored Tyg. And they seem to have been very close, whereas Mark was close to her and was more like, okay. she said, more like the Cronins. But uh, in that, um, Mark thought that Dermot's threat to kill himself if he didn't get the farm, that, that was trying to guilt his mother into changing uh, her will. Now, they didn't actually know the will, but she had indicated that she was planning to split it evenly 50-50 between the two of them. Whereas uh, we heard from Anne, I suppose by way of background, 
background now. The, the whole issue came, there was never any issue about, sorry, uh, Anne Cronin married Tygo Sullivan. Yeah, well, yeah, that is about, to, uh, let's do that because uh, there were two, there were two farms. There were two farms. She was an only daughter and there was 115 acres of land at Raheen. He was an only son and he came from a smaller farm in Lohert in Cecil Sound, 30 acres. He married in to the farm and he lived with Anne and her mother who passed away, I think, and they, they subsequently passed away. They had two children then, Mark and, and Tyg. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013, went for treatment and recovered and there was never any issue with the land at that stage. But back in February 28th, she wasn't feeling well, or sorry, she wasn't feeling well in the run-up to that and she went to for a hospital appointment and she was diagnosed with terminal cancer on the 28th of April. Or 28th of February. Yes, and that's when, of course, they started and that's when things started. That. And Tyg and Dermot were on tour constantly to make a will have to be decisive and they were quite it seems quite horrible for it so saying she's been typically indecisive and at some stage Tyg said to her she was like a ghost stuck in the ditch he also said to her that he never married her he married her just to improve himself as in get the big land he married her yeah. for land yeah. not for love, oh, for love you yeah. know really horrible sort of things to be saying so and was it her her land and she had the will over it she had the will over it, it yeah. he, he he had retained ownership of the 30 acres in, in Cecilstown and that stayed in his name. The 115 acres stayed in her. Now, somewhere, because I presume he was out working the land with his father, Dermid got this sense of entitlement and he asked his mother in July, I think it was, I just checked my dates here now, as to what he outlined to her what his vision for the farm was and what he planned. Um, he said in July 2020, Dermot spoke to her about his vision of the farm and said Mark could have the farmhouse and the yard as well as about 30 acres of bogland, but that he deserved the rest of the farm as he was the one who worked it. Worked on it yeah. He said she became angry when she said they planned to split it evenly. She had said, there are only two of you and they're going to split it evenly. Now, he went, Dermot at some stage went out in July, went out for a walk with Mark and they reached this agreement. This is the one that we referred to earlier yeah. that Mark felt was under. And that would have seen Mark get about 40 to 45 acres of the farm. But Dermot obviously would have got the best of it and the majority of it. Mark then, uh, Dermot came home after that walk and told his mother, it's okay, it's sorted, everything's all right. But she hadn't made a will at that stage. They were pressurising her to do so. She got her solicitor to write them a letter saying she wasn't medically fit enough to make a will. That seems to be in the situation. There actually wasn't a will drawn up or at least revealed to them, but she did at one point send them a solicitor's letter telling them to tr- stop bullying her on Mark or she'd involved the Gardaí. That seems to have happened in the run-up to September, October. They then sent letters when she was out at staying with the Sherlocks, and there was an incident, sorry, I should say as well, this is important, on the 13th of October, Louis Sherlock was driving down the yard to the Sullivan farm. Mark, sorry, Tyg and Dermot stopped her and were quite threatening. And uh, Dermot said to her, this will be all over in a couple of weeks, there will be a trail of carnage, or a road of carnage, I think was the phrase he used. She then became very concerned. She went into Cantor Gardy, Cantor station, and alerted them to her concerns. Now, she wasn't aware that there were guns in the house at this point, yeah. but she did say she was concerned. The guardian advised her that and, and Mark could come in and make a statement if they wished, but they could also contact the solicitor and seek a protection order or a barring order, and that's where it was at at that particular point yeah. when things, the tragedy or the, 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 the murder and suicide happened. But just 
going back then when the Anne and Mark were staying with the Sherlocks. They Tony, stayed with the I, Sherlocks out of fear, was it? Out of fear for two okay. weeks, yeah. But they got a letter from their solicitor which Tyg and Dermot had sent apologising and more or less holding out in all the French so they went back and Louise Sherlock in her statement was, was quite poignant quite she was saying how uh, uh, on the, this was in the weekend the 25th Sunday I know Mark had said that he hadn't slept in a long time he slept when he was in Dublin with Anne for her surgery and he slept again when he came here he didn't sleep at home in Raheen because of the fear and we'd heard stories about him sleeping at the bottom of his mother's bed to protect her yeah. on the Sunday evening they left here at 3.10pm they were upset and crying Mark didn't feel safe going back but I don't th- and I don't think Mark wanted to return he didn't feel safe but he was doing what Anne wanted he wasn't going to leave her return on her own so he went back to be with his mother even though he feared for it and obviously from what we learned in the letter that he left in the, in the, the medicine bag yeah. the fear that was well justified it seems to have escalated and um, just over the course of the, the, the whatever February to October I mean to the point where it would seem from what um, the, sorry, the letters found on Tyg and Dermot were dated the 23rd. That would have been the Friday. So they certainly were planning it over that weekend to, to kill a man. So was this Olive, Bl- Olive Branch come home, well, a ruse well, to get them back? Well, it, that wasn't said yesterday, mm. but it, it would seem. And from what um, Dermot said to Louise Sherlock on the 13th on the driveway, this will be over in a few weeks and there'll be a road of carnage. It could be going back that far, if not further back. Yeah. So it certainly was premeditated. It certainly wasn't a spur of the moment thing on the morning of the um, 26th. And obviously they had gone and changed, bought new locks for the gates as well. So that was another element. Of the there planning. was planning, yes. yes. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it was just, uh, you know, the, 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 as an inquest yesterday, but not for about four hours, there was the horror of what happened on the day, uh, which was, you know, they, they murdered their brother and son, blasted him to you know, in the, in the bedroom. But as well as that, then there was this really toxic background build up where Dermot seems to have been. I mean, at the time I wrote initially, the impression I got was Dermot was the driving force. Then I heard things that would suggest it was Tyg. Then Dermot again. But certainly the picture that emerged yesterday was of a young man who had the sense of entitlement and seemed to have his father siding with him and he was driving it. Yeah. He didn't get the farm. He was going to do yeah. his own life. And then the father was going to, and it just seemed to escalate. And I mean, I found that extraordinary for a 23-year-old. You know, I mean, I know, uh, Anna Sullivan obviously was, was, was seriously ill, but that he seemed to be the one setting the agenda within the, the family unit. Driving it on. And what, what struck, like what, what keeps coming back into my head since, since yesterday's inquest is that, um, of course, um, Mark is dead. Mur- murdered, Dermot is dead, Tyg is dead, Anne is dead, and the land is there with nobody on it now. Well, his threat that there'd never be a light in Rahan- Raheen again, you know, it's, um, that's the reality, there's nobody there, and the coroner made that point that normally in these situations he'd be extending his, sorry, it's just to, to, to conclude for purposes of completeness, the jury returned three verdicts, they returned a verdict of unlawful killing in the case of Mark, and verdicts of suicide in the case of uh, Tyg and Dermot, and they also made a recommendation that guard, uh, sorry, protocols should be reviewed, uh, let me get this right now, um, that protocols should be reviewed uh, governing third parties making reports to Garda stations. Oh, that's very interesting, because I, I, I didn't know whether to bring that up or not. If somebody goes into a Garda station, is it right that a guard says, tell him come in and make a statement? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if it's a 
third party, whether it's the nature of life and whether firearms involved, the protocols that Gardaí use in that should be reviewed. The jury recommended. But Jen, just to say, Dr. That point about there's nobody left there in the immediate family. Dr. Kennedy, the coroner, is normally in these situations. He said, I extend my my sympathies to the immediate family, but he said, this is a, I think his phrase was a, a, a terrible tragedy beyond convention and that there was nobody left from the immediate family that he could sympathize with. So it was, it was cousins, the, the, the Sherlocks, and more distant relations that he had to extend sympathies to on this occasion. It was a really... It was four hours. It was one of the, you know, the, but the horror of what happened was bad enough. But the, I thought the, the background to it and the build up and the toxic sort of, I mean, the, the woman was diagnosed with terminal Ill and the son is smirking, you know. Mm. Like it's, doesn't that say mm. something mm. about the, and mm. to do that to your own brother and uh, son in the case of. Oh, it's very, it's, yeah. it's very and, hard to, uh, it's very hard to come to terms with And taunt her about this is your trail of destruction, live with this, you know. And the, and the planning that was involved in it too. Planning, you know, it's yeah. very, and you just wonder, like they were a very private family. We gathered, we got that at the time. But were there any warning signs there in terms of that Mark, or sorry, that Dermot was that mentally troubled? We put it, yeah. you know, um, or that serious about what he was threatening to do? That serious about what he yeah. was threatening to do? Because really, um, yeah, it's, I don't. I, it's not an inquest, uh, type of inquest they want to cover again. Um, it was. Uh, and there was just so much detail because we had obviously an assaulting wasn't there but I think there were about eight statements from her which were very very detailed and then there was the statements from uh, there was the technical evidence from David O'Reilly the detective sergeant Margaret Bolster that was uh, but then the Clara Lucy statement and her evidence and Shamila and there there was a lot of detail there in terms of the sequence of the build up so it was, a, it was one that required a lot of attention and um, just to put on the record just to on my own behalf and behalf of I think everybody in the press corps from Cork who was out there just to thank Valerie Lynch and Mary Lennon from Mallow Court Offices and their colleagues for facilitating us there yesterday and also the coroner Dr Kennedy was very helpful in terms of clarifying things as was Inspector Paul O'Hearn it was a difficult inquest to cover the best of times but they made it as manageable as they could in okay. circumstances and for that we're, we're, we're all grateful people were saying to me last night on behalf uh, of you all yeah, okay. Yeah. okay Barry as always thank you so much I know it was a difficult one to cover and also difficult to navigate through it this morning but you did a sterling job and thank you for it I do appreciate it before I go I suppose in terms of press protocol if anyone is affected by the issues here uh, they can contact or the, what we discussed Neil yeah. the host is on 1800-24747 or the Samaritans at uh, 116-123 so just in case well said. there's anybody out there who is um, you know affected by this or if there's anybody in anything I don't know if, if it's possible that anyone could be in the same situation yes, indeed. Yeah. if there is anyone in anything broadly similar go and get help contact people that the guard you know Sensible words. Thank you, Barry. Um, we leave it at that. I do appreciate it. As always, Barry Rhodes, Southern Correspondent of the Irish Times, the inquest yesterday uh, in Mallow Courthouse into the, again, uh, I mean, we have already mentioned it, the deaths of a father and two sons um, with regards to Marco Sullivan, unlawful killing, uh, with regards to his dad, Tyg, and his brother, Dermot suicide. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, and you can text 086-8104-106. Yesterday we, we covered, of course, the tragic deaths of uh, two men in Monkstown on Tuesday afternoon. Mark Wills, the bus driver uh, driving the bus, bus went out of control and sadly um, he uh, veered across the road, of course, and we know that uh, Father Con Collins lost his life in the accident and pushed his, his friend 
the sacristan who he had been at lunch with in the bosun out of the way and saved her life. Uh, there's a young girl also also injured, uh, many are saying, and rightly so, that he died protecting one of his parishioners, one of his friends, pushed her out of the way of the oncoming vehicle, and many people were paying tribute yesterday, uh, both to Father Con and, of course, uh, to Mark Wills, father of two who died at the age of 51. They, they think there may have been a medical trauma involved in Mark Wills losing control of, of the bus. But, of course, the harbour communities of Passage and Monkstown and Shan Valley and Ringeskiddy and all sorts of areas like that are still reeling from the tragic passing of uh, certainly uh, Father Con Collins. But Mark Wills was w- well known in the community as well because that was his run for a long, long time. And I recall um, uh, doing a story sometime back on Father Con Collins when he was um, at the communion for, I think it was the star of the sea, second class at the time, and he was flossing, doing the floss. You know, you, it's, it's a dance that was very f- popular and uh, well-practiced at the time, and he did it with the kids. And I suppose it was a mark of, you know, his love of all people and their love of him of all ages. But yesterday morning, Seamus Whelan travelled down to Passage West, and he got to talk and to, to chat and catch up with uh, some of the locals down there. Beautiful man. Big man, big personality. We absolutely loved him. You know, he was um, his beautiful human touch. We had a video last night and um, Mam is just special. It'd be a huge loss. Huge loss to, to his passion. It wasn't just people of his own generation, it was right across the age span he knew people. Everybody loved God. He was known as the flossing priest, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was he was a man of the people and you could speak the Khan Yuan language. He didn't judge him. He didn't judge you, you know, and he didn't judge anybody, just we loved the boat. You know, he'd sing a song and he'd go in and have a drink and uh, he's a fabulous man. No, we're just, we're all in pieces of him. And did you know much about the bus driver that passed away? I didn't, I think he was a, he was a passage man as well, I think. He was in Bellingcolly, but I think he's originally from Passage. I just know him to see him. And someone said his father can't saw the bus coming, but there was a woman with him and he pushed her out of the way so that she'd escape, you know. So he's out pr- protecting? Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that was typical con. Yeah. He loved the younger people, really younger people, you know, and was involved in the schools, but anywhere, nursing homes, hospitals, he visited anybody he knew in Passage, in the Harbour Parish as well, too, you know. So he'd be sorely missed. The flossing priest. Oh, yes, 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 all together, you know. But, you know, it's sad, tragic, you know, and the bus driver as well, too, a young man as well, too. You know. and, and did you know the bus driver? Oh, I did, I did, yeah. He used to work in, uh, in a bar in, just down the road from me, um, but only in the last, I don't know how many years, he went to bus Aaron, but he was on this route all the time for 216. I used to salute him and everything, you know. Since yesterday when I heard that, I heard, I was hear that it's just a fire breakers, nothing happened. But when I heard that the father Connor was working in the kitchen and I desperately lost my soul, like you know. I'm just still looking the door, you know, like he might be coming then he's just talking, you know, like and I was talking to yesterday with uh, William. He is one of our friends and the father con came every time to buy his for his the sweets and look after him and he loves the Magnum. So most of the time, I gave him free. The 
15, like, you know, he usually buy like five or six packets. He loves them, you know, he loves the sweet. Obviously, we can, we can bring him back, but I know he's in some good place. Oh, we have lots of memories of him. Um, he was more than a priest. He was absolutely so much a part of the community and so much a part of everybody's lives. There was nothing. You could not go to Father Conwish. He was like a granddad to everyone in the town. Everyone loved him and he just brought such a good energy around, happy laughter. He was always dancing. He was always giving everyone chocolates. <laughs> he was just such a happy man and we're all so heartbroken from young to old people. We just can't believe it and I don't think he'll ever be forgotten in this town. Every morning you'd see him cruising around the town, he'd wave at everyone. He was just one of those larger than life, he kind of lit up a room. He was just, you knew, if he was there, you knew he was there. He was a missionary, so I'd say that opened him up. He spent 25 years in Nigeria and I suppose you see so much of life there that everything else is kind of, all those categories we have probably all kind of break down a bit you know and he'd always make jokes like he'd come in and say oh the wife sent me down for a packet of biscuits <laughs> you know like that now and oh he was just a lovely man you know so many people in the community are going to be totally lost without him even the people who weren't practicing in the church who weren't who still wouldn't be very holy he was always very good to them he was fond of the social pint, I believe, as well. He was. I'm pretty sure the bishop told him that if he wants a pint to go up the road to soon, and he essentially said, no, I'm staying in my local. You know? He's staying local. He was... He was always, you know, just he loved the social aspect. He did my father's funeral. He couldn't have been nicer and better to us. Um, last week... I was in the off-licence. He was going down to Fermoy, visiting people. And bought the wine in my hand. He paid for it. So he he was just larger than life. <laughs> what do you say? I was saying, no, no. And he was saying, oh, of course, don't be silly. You've been good to me. I did an interview with him on Track and Trace. So we're devastated. i we're absolutely devastated. Okay, some lovely tributes, some beautiful, warm stories. My apologies. For some reason, I typed Father Con Collins this morning incorrectly, and of course, it is Father Con Cronin. I don't know why I typed that. Sometimes I'm just rushing, and my apologies for that, the late Father Con uh, Cronin. Um, I, I, you know, when you hear stories, I have beautiful stories about the Magnum going down for the pack of the biscuits, uh, the Bishop Finton telling him to go for a pint in Rochester, all those kind of things. It really brings home the tragic loss of a life, um, and, you know, whether it's suddenly or, you know, in any circumstances. But it's also beautiful to listen, lovely tributes, you know, like that from people in the community, the mark of the man and that he has left a mark there. Uh, and I'm quite sure there would be similar stories um, with regards to the late Mark Wills and our thoughts with his family and friends as well. Uh, lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. So uh, a sad couple of days on Leaside, what with the tragedy in, in Monkstown indeed. Uh, the inquest yesterday. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And I received quite an amount of uh, lovely tributes and texts from people listening to yesterday's program regarding the death of Father Con Cronin and indeed Mark Wills. Well, most of them are lovely, not all of them. Somebody taking me to task saying, it's very bad form, Neil, talking about the accident in Monkstown. Have a small bit of respect for the family of the bus driver also who no throw... No, who 
through no fault of his own, lost control of the bus. Father Cronin would not like this himself. Lord of mercy on him and also the bus driver. Well, I mean, you are entitled to your own thoughts and your own opinion on things. Don't agree with you, incidentally. I think uh, people would prefer kind words to be said about their loved ones rather than no words at all, I would believe. Uh, But there you have it. Uh, My deepest sympathy to Father Khan's family and to the bus driver's family. God grant them both eternal rest. Um, Neil, I attended a funeral mass in the Borland Valley. Father Khan said a beautiful mass. During the mass, he looked down and he said, Are we doing all right, Peggy? (laughs) It was so nice. Sounds like a right comedian, yeah? Uh, So very sad. May they rest in peace and may the families be comforted at this very sad and tragic time. Um, I hope the injured heal and make a quick and full recovery. And my sincere condolences to the families and friends. They'll be in my thoughts and prayers. Heartbreaking. Condolences to the family. Uh, Another one, may they rest in peace. Another one, heartbreaking. May they rest in peace and condolences to the family and all affected by this tragedy. And many, many more like that. Um, And I may come back to some more of them a little later on this morning. But thank you all. I think that the families will be very much appreciative of your kind words. Because kind words are what matter, really. You know, rather than no words at all. Um, there was a lot then coming in on communions. And you would think the rebel county would have gone rogue on communions or confirmations. But it hasn't happened. There are six bishops around the country. Uh, but Cork is staying stum and we're staying within protocol. Mind you, not everybody agrees. If weddings can go ahead, then all religious ceremonies should. Uh, Neil, it's about time we stood up. Nothing makes sense in the laws being implemented. Uh, two or three more. It's about time our children, they deserve to have their sacraments. If 40,000 can go to a gam match and all other events, well done them. As in the bishops and the counties that are allowing them. And uh, now the scientists have almost solved the pandemic problem. It's a perfect time to go back to magic and incantations. Um, you would regard communions and confirmations as magic and incantations, I suppose. If the government allow 100 people to attend a wedding, I can't see why my child can't make her confirmation. It's a ridiculous rule, one for one group and one for another. I think all the bishops should proceed with communions and confirmations. Um, hang on a second. Today is the day, actually. It's August 5th today. So today's the day that weddings go to 100 from today. Um, uh, yeah, bring back communions and allow confirmations. Watch out for the limos and the parties. It certainly sounds like a great idea. Not. Um, I have twins due to get communion. We have no date as it's been cancelled twice so far. Another one saying that the children have just had enough. Uh, and two or three more. People can have a wedding, christenings, pubs are open. Why not leave the children have their communions and confirmations? Well, that's probably why six bishops are allowing it. Some of those children are waiting a long time to receive communion and confirmation. Those bishops are right to give the children the most important days of their young lives so far. I hope they have lovely days and God bless them all. It should go ahead. If you can go to a wedding, sit in a pub and the likes of electric picnic go ahead, then why can't kids have their communion and confirmation? I think I saw somewhere in the paper this morning saying that uh, electric picnic is not going ahead. Um, I think, yeah, thank you, Seamus. Uh, I'm right. It's been cancelled. Uh, the best decision. The kids have suffered enough. My son is going into fourth class and still hasn't made his communion. It's been cancelled four times. This is ridiculous. Carry on. A hundred at a wedding. People in sports stadiums. No reason why they shouldn't go ahead. My son's communion last time was cancelled on the Wednesday. He was to make it that Sunday with only five other children during a normal Sunday mass. The whole thing is just a joke. So there's that and lots more besides uh, after 10. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. And wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revan. Cork's Red FM. All right. Um, can I just say, uh, I just want to address a, a, an issue here. Um, I 
got a letter, uh, quite a lengthy letter in the post, a good old-fashioned handwritten letter uh, earlier this week, and it had some attachments to it as well. One letter, then a second one added to it, and a third shorter one to it. Um, and it's from somebody who wanted to contact me regarding uh, the unsolved case of uh, Sophie Toscan de Plantier's murder. Now, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that, apart from the fact that the person who wrote to me um, didn't give me any phone number, uh, didn't give me any email or didn't give me a return address. So I'm just making uh, a point here to the person who did write that letter. Um, please come back to me. Uh, write again if you can. Uh, just let me have a phone number and uh, then we can chat because this person is keen to talk to me confidentially and I have no problem doing that. But um, And can I just say that if you do decide to write back to me and give me a phone number, I will not pass it on to anybody at all. So you have no worry or fear of that. But thank you for the letter. It's quite extensive. It's quite lengthy. But there's nothing I can do with it right now because I can't get in touch with you. So if we can get over that hurdle, uh, then we'll be good to go. All right. So please feel free to write again with a contact number or indeed an email, whatever works for you. Lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868-104-106. A lot of response yesterday uh, on different topics of conversation. Amongst them, of course, um, the video from the Silver Key. Uh, with a lot of people having an opinion on that, where the owner says he wants COVID to go on for 10 years. This was filmed and uploaded, of course, and he has said that uh, it was against his wishes. He said he didn't know it was being filmed. He's very unhappy that it was shared online, and he's apologized, etc., etc. Big response to that. Um, the owner of the Silver Key should have his license reviewed. People died from COVID, and a lot of people are still sick from it. And the likes of, him are, uh, likes of him doing and saying things like this is nothing short of disgraceful. All of the grant money should be taken back. That would soften his cough. Um, you treated the Silver Key piece professionally, as I would have expected. I got a friend to interpret it for me. Enjoy the show. Well done. We all in this world need to have compassion, empathy and professionalism. Uh, yeah, um, it, it doesn't mean I'm very happy with what went on there, incidentally. It's not an apology. He's just making himself out now to be a victim. That said, we should leave the man alone and let him get on with his life now. Employees on EWSS will not get mortgage or loan approval from banks. Do you think it's right that this fellow talks about his retirement home in Barbados? Does it mean you support Campion's mockery of the deaths of over 2,000 people? People that died alone or left families? behind that don't get anything near the support Campion gets weekly. Um, it's clearly evident to me from that text that you didn't listen to a word I said yesterday or you had preconceived uh, ideas of your own regardless of anything that I said. Uh, because I can't kind of say you send me a text like that if you've been listening to a single word I said. Uh, I, should th- I think we should accept Tony Campion's apology, but the Vintners have serious questions to answer here. We have been bombarded with requests for sympathy and support for the publicans, but it sounds like They're taking serious advantage. This is COVID opportunism at its finest. The Vintners Federation had the cheek to respond to this issue with more awareness for their 500-day plight. Their response to you was scandalous. Um, Well done. The truth is coming out. And you're letting people talk about their corrupt government. Keep it going. You'll be inundated with calls. Yeah, quite a lot of calls, but a huge amount of texts. Just one more. Are people playing stupid these days, jumping to conclusions too easily without exploring the real facts? The man has done and is doing nothing wrong. Just Google the wage subsidy scheme. He's using a facility supplied to him by the government. He's not exploiting it in any way. It's the government who's at fault here, not this publican, or the thousands of other publicans up and down the country doing exactly the same thing. Give your heads a wobble. The government had him and other publicans closed for long enough. 
give me patience. Will people who earn less than €350 a week be asked to return that as well, the money they got on PUP? Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. But what about um, wanting it to continue for another 10 years? Um, Let it be. Our government, take what they want. Get over it. That's some friend who shared the video, though. Show me someone who would not accept 15 grand a week, says Jar. And believe me when I tell you, that's only the tip of the icebergs. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. And you can text 0868104106. Padraig is a Cork man living and working and listening to us in Brisbane, Australia. Originally from Bandon. Well, I guess he'll always be from Bandon, but away from home at the moment. But he joins me by phone. Padraig, good morning. Good evening, Neil. How are you? I'm oh, good. A little bit of a, of a time delay, but we'll work through it. Um, my, my last update in my own head with regards to Australia is that the uh, country next to you, New Zealand, has dropped out of the bubble and has closed off access to Australia. Has it got that bad there? Yeah, they've, they've um, shut the bubble for like two months from Australia to New Zealand. Like, Yeah, so... Um, yeah, because since uh, New South Wales had a big, big outbreak, and it's still, it's actually they've like New South Wales been shut down now for um, six weeks now, and um, it isn't getting better in New South Wales. Especially, it's getting a lot worse. When and you then, say New better. South Wales, like what cities would we know? Sydney, like Sydney, and kind of just the whole kind of state, pretty much, because now it is like um, cases now in like Newcastle. It's kind of going towards the border of um, state of Queensland. So, yeah, so it's just getting, it's getting pretty bad. And what's it like where you are, say, for instance, in Brisbane? Um, it's not too bad. It's like they did like 16 cases today. So they're kind of, they did like 52,000 tests today. So, um, But is much of the country back in, in lockdowns? Just, it's like basically just kind of the government kind of areas in Brisbane. So it, it's not too bad. We, we can still go to work, but um, like all the essential kind of people can actually go to work. But um, yeah, about that's about it really. But then for exercises, like you can only you can only go kind of ten k's, and that's it. And why? I mean, is this all because they just didn't vaccinate people? Is it? I mean, we have nearly I don't know what the number is. Like when you when you break it down, like easily sixty, sixty five, maybe seventy percent of people vaccinated. Oh, it's a, uh, it's like twenty percent here. I think it's yeah, it is. Um, it isn't good here. Like like. Regarding um, vaccinated people, it's yeah, it's, it's. I actually don't understand. Like I was saying to my family, like you know that it's just it's. Um, they seem to kind of just get really, really slow here. It's, you know, they, they, like they're kind of falling kind of batches here and there and stuff. You know, so it's. Um, and is anybody talking about that, or is anybody criticizing that policy, people-wise? Oh yeah, like kind of. I think the government here, like you know, they're kind of really fighting over each other, criticizing each other. It's just it's. Um, it isn't good, you know, kind of they're saying that kind of the whole of Australia probably won't be vaccinated, probably could be early next year, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, um, and what was the rationale behind not rolling out the vaccine like the rest of the world? I think they're just blaming kind of um, Scott Morrison, pretty much. I, they haven't given reason, but I think they're just blaming kind of Scott Morrison, like, and he he's actually owned up to it saying, yeah, he's kind of said that he kind of messed up. So, yeah, so... So that's led to, you know, I mean, what do you do for a living there? Um, I'm pen decorator in Brisbane. So it's it, it, lots of work here, absolutely loads of work here. And it's, it's, I'm pretty sweet here at the minute. So, yeah, so. so you are working? Yeah, I am, yeah, yeah. Like, I am actually, thank God, one of the essential workers here. So. 
And is everybody else able to go to work or do you know what are, what are the restrictions? Um, only essential workers, like I'm not sure about anyone else, but like the roads kind of seem ever since the lockdown um, kicked in eight days ago, the roads seem a lot quieter than they usually are. So, yeah. So all hospitality closed, everything like that? Yeah, it seems um, a lot quieter. There's around where I'm living, that's in North Brisbane, seems a lot, lot quieter. Like. And had you planned to come home at any stage, like see family down west or anything like that? Oh, look, Neil, kind of the last time I was home was like September 2019, um, a couple of months before the pandemic um, hit and kind of just, yeah, I kind of just absolutely dying to get back early on because I kind of miss all family, like, you know, and so because my two brothers had kind of um, baby ladies, so kind of it's, that's kind of one of kind of the saddest things that I can't go back to. What was that? Sorry, your brothers, what? My, like my two brothers, they kind of had had kind of um, you know babies and stuff recently. All oh, right, last yeah. Month or two, like yeah, yeah. so kind of um. So you're yeah, just like video calling and zooming and texting and calling yeah, and stuff. Yeah, just yeah, every week, like yeah, kind of for my mum, like you know maybe twice a week, whatever else she has she doing and stuff, and just yeah, you know, because like I do miss them, like you know, and stuff, yeah. So, and there's no talk at all about when you would be able to fly home or people to Australia. Oh, like, I think the. Um, like Australia is like the it, it, like the whole of Australia is shut out to the um, to the whole world until they're saying they won't open the borders until probably middle of next year. And that's been the case for off. well over a year and a half now, hasn't it? Oh, it has. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, like the government like Scott Morrison, they, they, they go to cabinet and they kind of say, okay, like they've got this kind of plan, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. You know, because it's all about the vaccines and getting the case numbers down and stuff. You know, so. Was it the case that they were just going to just shut down the borders, not roll out the vaccine, and um, let it go through the community, build up herd immunity, and just come out the other side of it? Well, <laughs> well, that's no hope, like, you know, but it's just it's not reality, is it? It's just, you know... Because um, I know that there was a, a lockdown there recently because it came in with cabin crew from an airplane and stuff like that. And another one now, there's been one because a, a teacher got it. I don't know, she might have got it in class or something and she passed it on to all of her family. Bang! Yeah, that's a pretty like, I think the schools, you know, but in the six schools are exposed. I know tonight there's another kind of student in another school uh, in Brisbane tested positive, but I think she was kind of in um, whole team quar- like in quarantine, but what's to say that how long we're showing the community, you know, so in comparison to um, New South Wales today, like there were like nearly 50 people in the community, infectious, and all with the Delta variant, like in 262 new cases in, in city, you know. So just, uh, yeah, so three of the biggest states are into lockdown. New South Wales gone from bad to worse, you're saying. Um, oh my goodness, yeah. And uh, like, I suppose look, Victoria, Victoria, they kind of had zero cases yet. They wake up in the morning, sick new cases. The reason why, in my opinion, I think is because the winter be locked down is because of, um, you know, because of the Delta variant is so transmissible. It's just, you know, that's the fine. Delta variant. So what happens is um, everything is fine. You go to bed and then there's a small little outbreak and you find uh, that you're back in lockdown again for, like, what, so eight days or something, is it? Well, yeah, can I think, like in Brisbane, it was first, it was three days. Yeah. And now they've extended for another week until this summer. So they look, they are fairly hopeful that um, we'll be in luck, like, lift restrictions Sunday at 4 p.m., but I'm not so sure. Like, you know, but look, you never know. And I how's that? I mean, how are you feeling about all of that with regards to, you know, socializing, meeting your pals and mates and stuff? That's all off the cards for a long time, is it? Oh, it's okay. Look, Neil, to be honest, I'm not too bad. I'm quite happy being home because. 
um, my wife said, okay, you're New Zealand till Tuesday. Look, look, I'm quite happy at home, kind of just do a bit of house chores, whatever, look, you know, I'm kind of just, it, it, look, to be honest, it, it doesn't bother me, I go for a run. I kind of, you know, kind of do a bit of housework, watch TV, look, I'm quite happy to kind of, the way it is, you know. And where'd you say your wife and kids are in New Zealand, is it? Yeah, because like she went over because she hasn't seen the family in a couple of years, but like, you know, so yeah. So she's stuck now? No, because, yeah. No, no, she, she, no, she, she, she can come back. Like on Tuesday, she can actually come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Like, yeah. So look, look. So look, it doesn't really kind of bother me. It doesn't really affect me enough because I can still walk, which is good. Yeah. So that's where you're at, man. And it doesn't look as if it's going to change anytime soon. Are, are they start, are they starting to say now that we just need to get people vaccinated to get out of this because they really have been, you know, completely cut off from the rest of the world for over a year and a half. Oh, look, Australia has, and it's like I was saying to him, look, look, it's just, it's, I'm actually dying to get back, I really do, but I think um, the time has changed for flying, I think it's never going to be the same again, I, I, I don't think, um, you know, and stop over hotels in Abu Dhabi or Dubai, I won't do that again, no way, I'd be going straight, because it's just too risky, you know, it's, it's, it's you know. But if they rolled out of, just finally, if they rolled out of vaccine, you'd take it, would you? Well, look, um, trying to move vaccines, um, Neil, it's just like the um, Australian kind of senior health kind of um, guy came on, he said, like, I think his name is kind of Coatsworth, and he, he said, and he goes, oh, I would advise anyone to take any vaccine. And I said, no way, I'm not taking any vaccine. The only vaccine I'm taking, Neil, it's Pfizer. No way, I'm not taking any vaccine. Why? Not a chance. Why? Not a chance. Why no. just Pfizer. No, no way, not a chance, Neil. It's because there was, a, I know, just kind of saying with AstraZeneca, there was a 34-year-old today. She died from a birth clot from AstraZeneca. So that's that's the worry for you, that you get one that could lead to yeah, a serious a illness or yeah, death? No way. I don't, look, I know many people taking command and chat about it, but I, it's it, it, like, Neil, it's, it's not that I don't care. I do, but it's just, in my opinion, there is no way I'm getting... Any other vaccine except Pfizer. Definitely. Okay. Well, that actually, well, I'll park it there with you, Podring, and thanks for listening in Brisbane. But you, you ask a very interesting point. Let's see if people have had had bad effects or um, bad reactions to vaccines and what one it was and which dose it was. I'm sure that people have something to say on that. be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's fair enough. Do you want me to, do you want me to hold on line? No, or you're good. Uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you get on to whatever you're doing, whether it's a bit of... Yeah. Or an or a bit of painting, but thanks for listening and stay in touch. All right. No, Neil, I'm kind of still up and about. If 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 you want me to kind of just hold online because I'm actually doing, I'm not doing anything. Because I got no kids, I got no wife. You sound like a lovely guy, Podrick, But I'd be keeping you online for no real purpose. But do feel free to stay in touch with me. Keep banging off the texts and stay listening and stay involved. All right. No, John. Because I have been listening, I come on my app, you know, kind of read the writer. I love it. I know. It's great to have people all over the world, and it's great to have you on board. Look after yourself, my man, and thanks for taking the call. It's Podrick in Brisbane, back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, caller says her daughter is 19 and lost nearly all her hair because of the vaccine. She had no underlying health conditions before. Now the text here is saying, Neil, hundreds of women have reported problems with their menstrual cycle after the vaccine also. Fair enough, keep those texts coming. I mean, some people got absolutely whacked. I know I did after the first dose of Astra and others then did after the second. But I'm just wondering, uh, you know, when you when you're texting actually, which vaccine was it? Text 0868 
104-106. Back to the phone lines we go. Finbar. Good morning. Do you... Do you Listen, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the brazen cheek of Simon Coveney, the way he elected that woman to the phone to take up the job without even informing any member of the cabinet. And I can see where the president came in here because he said to them about a week earlier, stop sending me so many bills to sign because he needs about three days or something to look into a bill. And he, then he'll sign he pretty much signs everything anyway, but maybe that's for another day, doesn't he? Do you know of anything that he doesn't sign? Uh, well, look, I don't know what he's saying, what he doesn't say, but what, what was the, the blazing way they were just flicked, just think of the people who are in this country, they're sitting down, deciding for the next 12 months or years, and this thing flicks through the teeth, you can say, oh, by the way, I've elected the support for the, the position without telling the, the, the tissue. No, the t- well, yeah, I've given her the job. Mind you, I did see some defense about that where they were saying that there are some positions that they don't need to advertise, some jobs. And apparently yeah, that, but, but, he said I, that was but, one of them. Yeah, but was he, uh, my point is that he, Michael Martin, sacked the chap called uh, former minister Cohen there from Muffley yeah. for, for something he never told him that was four years old. And he sacked him for the father. Mm. So this, I maintain, Simon Corbyn should be sacked for what he did. It was pure, undiluted, brazen cheek of him. He was on the radio the other day, and he was being scalded, in fairness. And the only defense he had was, uh, I could have handled it better. I could have, he keeps saying that over and over. But you no, know, he did he, say, actually, interesting, you're right, because yesterday he again said that they made mistakes. Uh, yeah, but all his years, all his years in politics, and he made a mistake. He made a, he didn't use, make a mistake. He used his power to just give a job to a friend of his. And to Is this cronyism so, as usual? Absolutely, as it was. And if you read the papers over the weekend, especially the Independent, this would have increased her pension because at the moment she has what's called, she has actually three pensions, three small, what they call small pensions. But this, by staying there for two or three years, it would give her a full pension. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, of course, you're, you're probably a TD, probably ministerial pension, and you're saying a third she one. Was a se- senate, she was a senator. Senator's pensi- pension as well. Yeah, so it was, you see what he was, only, was only, I mean, I mean, it was only a kind of a part-time job and, you know, something to do with the yeah, UN out of New York. And she was in New York anyway, you know? Yeah, but she, she, um, she it would have increased, it would increase her pension over the years. What do you wouldn't. think of, what do you think of the actual lunch that she hosted at the Marion? Yeah, no, I didn't hear that. The Tarnish was that. That, 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 that. That's what I'm saying about politicians. They tend to have, over a period of time, they go what's called a brass neck. They, they don't say anything what they do wrong. They just do it, and that's it. Take it, accept it. But there was so much pressure, even from his own party, that they couldn't believe what he was after doing, same in Coveney. No, he, he had to make it. What about that Beamish thing there? He made a complete mess of that, like, um, absolutely. The convention centre, is it? Yeah. I forgot to Don't say, mention you know. the war. Hang, hang on there, if you like. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay, just... Uh, uh, I, about do you, does anybody see similarities between the lunch in the Marion Hotel and Golfgate? I do, of course, but I just... Captain Sapone, right? So Captain Sapone need failed as a minister for children. No, I was reading Daniel O'Connor's article on the examiner last Saturday morning. Tell me where you've got to go. All right, my man, appreciate it. Thank you, Fimber. Right? Yeah. D- Daniel O'Connor, he has an apple, Captain Sapone. She, in 2019, she handed back something. There was 6,000 children waiting 
for a social worker and other children went for all kinds of medical help and she handed back 60 million euros back into the exchequer. Unspent. Unspent. Well, and I don't you, think that's a job be, well done then. That's that's just you, not... You, you, you were on your small you had some some uh, some mother looking for a child to get some some treatment for something. And I have so some that. advice on that, yeah, yeah. Ch- yeah child suffering know, right? and with shocking anxiety, yeah. Exactly, and she, what else, she, uh, right, that's look, and then, right, Dan McConnell's here's an article, but from a senior government minister of her being, and inter- listen to this, an international leader in human rights are laughable, and how right Daniel McConnell is. Yeah, well... And they, well. They, they appointed her... She failed as a minister for children, and they appointed her to a job. And, and I don't want—I don't want to be kicking the, anybody, but she also failed to get re-elected. But they do that all of the time, though. When people don't get re-elected, they—they they usually manage to find a cushy job somewhere else. So look, there was two other two other ministers, and fine girl. There was Jerry Butler here, and uh, uh, the, the minister for health. What's his name? Uh, James O'Reilly. They lost their seat and appointed uh, government. They put my cushy job in, into into the Senate. Into the Senate, yeah, yeah. Into the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Neil. I just the only thing I talk about is the children that she couldn't spend sixty million euros, and there's, there's children all over the country looking for even even treatment for dental stuff or anything. Anything. I wasn't aware and of that. Waitlist, waitlist for years and years, and she couldn't spend the money. Let me do some texts on it. Appreciate the call. Thank you, Dan, as always. Text 0868104106. Take care of yourself. Even if she technically uh, did nothing wrong by having this party, she must have known that she'd get a backlash because it looks bad. Will they ever learn, says Diana. Um, now it's turned out, of course, that uh, you can have and always could have 200 people at a party outdoors. Um, so you might want to uh, plan that if you're thinking of getting married and you can get yourself a good day or want to have a function or an event. 200 outdoors, not a bother, at tables of six. And the government, as again, do as they please and dictate to everyone else. But remember, they'll always tell you it's for your own safety. Uh, what's distasteful about this is that she has thrown the hotel under the bus. The idea that you hold a private party in the middle of a delta wave and have previously held a government position would surely mean you would be the very least checked. You would at very least check out the guidelines yourself. Surely this throws a question out there as to her suitability for any role. But she did claim that she checked with the Marion and they said that it was under uh, COVID guidelines. And it turns out actually that it was. But even if it wasn't anything illegal or against guidelines, it's still a wrong thing to do for politicians or uh, you know, 50 people to be gathering for a swanky lunch, uh, regardless of who picking up the tab in the Marion Hotel. She lost her seat in the last election. She shouldn't have been hired for this made-up position in the first place. They just look after their own all of the time. If this was any other country, they'd be jailed or fired for all of the mistakes Irish politicians have made. This government are making fools right out of the people of this country, and they'll get away with it with the likes of Golfgate and RTE gate, says Mary. It's a made-up role anyway to keep her on the gravy train. Train. This bull needs to be scrapped with immediate effect. Well, of course, since those texts came in uh, yesterday, um, what happened in the afternoon yesterday, of course, changed everything. She said that she wasn't going to take the job, that if all politicians in Ireland weren't on board and agreed with her uh, appointment, she wouldn't take it. I would question, for what purpose was this party held? Was it to cement her upcoming appointment? Why is she referred to the hotel for comment? She booked the event. She was the hostess. She has the responsibility. She should answer as to why she saw fit to hold a private party 
a party that must she must have been aware would be questionable if revealed. And parties like that and functions like that, they always get out. Back to the phone lines and I'll come back to more texts again. Kate, good morning. Are you on one, Kate? Good morning. morning. Yeah, you can hear me okay. Good morning. Can you hear me okay, Kate? I can, yes. Okay, I okay. Can. You wanted to just pick up on the vaccine. I do. I had the Pfizer Biontech and in May 1, and I got very ill. I got chest pains and I got palpitations and it scared me. I decided I wasn't having the second one. And was that directly after the vaccination? I'm just curious it now. Was, it was directly after it. I had squeezing pain in my chest every day for about a week and I felt very unwell. So it kind of scared me off getting the second one. I had made up my mind there and then I wasn't going to get it. And how long did that, I'm just, because I've been asking the question, have people had side effects? How long did that, how long did that pain and that sickness last? It, the pain continuously for the week after and periodically ever since. That long? Yes. So the palpitations with the kind of chest pain, but it's not there all the time. Okay. If you know what I mean, yeah, like yeah. it was initially. But it was never there before. No, it wasn't. You should get it checked out, though, check chest pain. That's what I was trying to do yesterday. I decided, my daughter said to me to have that checked out. So I decided I'd read my, I'd ring the medical centre and I'd ask them for um, an appointment to see the doctor and um, I was asked straight away if I was immune, if I had the vax and I said I only had one and the receptionist said you can't come in here, end of Did you tell her that you had heart palpitations from the first dose? I did, I did, I told her I had chest pains and I had palpitations and she said you cannot come in here I'll get the doctor to ring you So she said she would get the doctor to ring you? Yes, on Friday. Now, I did say I wanted an appointment for Friday because right. I was kind of figuring out all the other days, if you know what I mean. They yeah. were all tied up. Yeah. So she said to me, um, no, you can't come in here if you're not vaccinated. And did so, you get a call since Friday? No, I didn't. But sure, that would, I would be concerned if you have having chest pains and heart palpitations, if it goes unchecked, that something could happen. Yes, it's this Friday now. I wanted to make an appointment for this coming Friday, tomorrow. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. but And when were you told that you'd get a call from the doctor? Yesterday yesterday evening I yeah. rang for um, to, to make an appointment. And, and is that your own GP you're talking about? Yes, it is. And so, the receptionist said, it wasn't the GP I was speaking to now, it was the receptionist. So is that the case now that GPs and medical centres, medical centre will be where a lot of GPs work out of, isn't that right? That's right. And they're, yes. not, they're, not, they're not seeing people unless they're fully vaccinated now. Well, that's what I was told yesterday. I cannot come but in. that's bizarre. It is. I thought, surely, because God, that can't be right. This isn't mandatory. But that's bizarre. That means the people who never got the vaccine could possibly be never seen by a doctor. That's it. That's it. So I was just stunned when she said it to me because but I sure, thought... they got the Hippocratic Oath that they must see patients. Yes, that's what I thought. But um, after yesterday, I'm not so sure anymore. Has that changed? Okay, well, I don't want to know the name of the centre on air. I know that Brenda has it and we'll call them and ask them for their policy on that. Uh, Somebody with chest pains would be a priority to me and I'm not even a doctor. Yes, I I thought 
the same myself. I said, like, I just felt completely on my own when she gave me that answer. I thought, is it because you're 70 years of age, you're left on the heap? And uh, I just thought it was a ridiculous answer to get, but things have changed so much. Yeah, but have they? Let, let's find out. I'd like to get clarification or an explanation for that, or indeed is that common practice now that GPs are not seeing patients unless they're fully vaccinated? Like, you know, before we... Like, you know, the, the the numbers are very small now. There's much less risk now because, you know, we're not... This isn't this time last year or a year and a half ago. Uh, when we were in the teeth of it, you could go into a GP. You could, of course, yeah. But anyway. That's exactly. Okay. That's what I was told now, yes. All right. Let's see, let's see what the policy is. Let's see what they have to say. Um, and I'll revert back to you. All right, Kate? Thank you so much. Okay, Jackie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I'm just curious because it was a point that was brought up by Podrick in Brisbane. Are people suffering side effects? Or did they get ill or was there pain or headaches or in the case of Kate well, their chest pain. the reason I'm ringing you is because on the 4th of June I got the Janssen injection that would be one injection with two lots going you know together yeah yeah single dose and within yeah. that Neil and a few days I developed lung pain no massive lung pain and I first of all rang the doctors and I was told by a standing doctor I'd hay fever and blah blah and whatever and to take a, an inhaler and hay fever I'd done what I was told but Neil worse and worse the pain got to the extent I wouldn't sleep and I could barely breathe so I ended up in the Mercy Hospital I spent all night long in the Mercy Hospital getting tests done for clots in case it would be I would be after forming clots mm-hmm. But Neil, I didn't, and even though I looked at my x-ray, which I found, maybe I don't know whether to say it on air or not, but I found a total cloud on one side of my lung and nothing on the other side of my lung. So you were in the mercy, were you, for a period of time? Yes, I was. Yeah. I was, overnight, to get this test, lung test done, and they told me there was nothing wrong with me. They could give me some form of tablets, which I don't really take tablets, and I said, um, if it's not an antibiotic, well, then no. So I came home again, very upset, uh, still in pain, rang South Dock, a beautiful lady in South Dock, felt I had a lung infection. So she prescribed antibiotics and steroids, which, for a week and a half, took my pain away. Yeah. The minute... I was finished this, I'm back to square one. Neil, I'm sitting here with you now, and last night I was crying and paying up my lungs. I have a doctor's appointment for four o'clock today. I'm begging for help. I want to know what the hell they pumped into my body. Wow. Wow. What you got... they put into my body that they've made me, t- that I have to take no inhalers, that I never took before, Neil. Like, I'm angry, and I'm frustrated with the government at the moment. Now, for a, for a girl that was healthy, like, I could barely breathe. And you were perfectly... You, smoke, be, you were perfectly... I gave up cigarettes. No, I gave up cigarettes 10 years ago. I don't smoke. I had no after effects after giving up the cigarettes. And, like, I can be you know, I'm struggling. My quality of life now is not the same. It is, you know... And I'm sorry, now I'm upset. But like, just well, I can understand why me. you would be upset, because you had none of these issues before. That's what no, I've been asking. You had none of this before the chance. A hundred percent, Neil. A hundred percent.
same time blamed the injection. And has any 100%. medic has any medic said to you that this is a side effect? It's no. A, it's a mild word to use because you're no. in a much worse situation. No. Nobody has said that this is because of the vaccine. No. But you're, if if it, if all this happened after the vaccine, it has to be a vaccine, doesn't it? It has to be. Well, I'm hoping for my doctor four o'clock to tell me something and to do something to cure it. You know, but I don't think I'll ever be cured, Neil. Yeah, it's like, dreadful. You know, honestly, like, and I pity people out and there. It, what is it? It's, it's just chronic chest pain, shortage of breath? No, it's no chest pains, Neil. I have it in my lungs. It hit my lungs and whatever it done to my lungs, it, it, it destroyed it. It's like, what it's like now, Neil, it's like an ice-cold pack resting on my lungs. If you ever put your hand into cold water, it would burn you. Do you understand? Yeah, and you can't breathe because of it. That's it. That's exactly and what it, it is. And it kind of comes and goes in waves. Sometimes it's worse than others. No, 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 Neil. It's, it's like I'm sitting here talking to you now, and like it's there. It's in my lungs, you know. But like it can get, like I'm, I'm good now. I'm and have you spoken now. with anyone else who's had uh, issues, let's call it, yes. after the vaccination? Yes, yes. And what have they been saying? Well, I've, I've spoken to a lady when I was in the hospital and she said her husband was brought in with a heart attack, but he was sent home that there was nothing wrong with him either. Okay. Um, and was she saying it was the vaccine? She was. And it wasn't a heart the attack? Man was, the man was perfect. The man was perfect before he got the vaccine. And this happened very soon after it? Yeah, who would have happened to man too a few days after it? All right, okay, okay. You are upset, but I can understand your 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 upset why you are upset. But you have an you have an appointment at four, is it? At four o'clock today again. Like Neil, I just I just want to get better. I just can't understand it. Like I know for a fact it, it is the vaccine, and I don't want to fight anyone. But by God, I don't want anyone to be in my position. Yeah, I know what you're saying. What have they pumped into my body? You said powerful yes. words, yes, Jackie. That's what I'm Jackie, do feel free to come back and give us an update, will you? Okay. Take Thanks care for now. Much, Cheers. Man. Okay. Bye-bye. Strong words. Well said. Um, we spoke to the practice with regards to Kate um, being told that she couldn't come in unless she was vaccinated, and they say now that there may have been a misunderstanding. If there is a worry that there could be a COVID risk, firstly, there would be a telephone consultation carried out by the GP, and if the individual needs to be seen, there is an isolation unit where the GP would be fully PPE'd and she would be seen to. Yeah, this we know because that to me was the protocol all along. But why wasn't she told that? That's not what she was told. But at least we've managed to clarify that. So Kate will go to the medical centre. She's going to pick up the phone again and hopefully we'll get an appointment ASAP. Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. James, good morning. I'm good. Uh, I've got an email from you here, but rather than read it out, we figured it'd be better to get you back on air, to get you on air to tell the story. Um, just talk me through it. Um, well, j- j- just on about the, my, my condolences there, we said to Jackie there, she's on her own there, this is more of the, the carry on with this vaccine program, you know what I mean? Well, I'm just curious, are people suffering side effects? That was the question I was asking. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I know I know one girl who uh, had a baby two days after she got an injection, so there's a lot of it out there. And you, in fairness, you don't know bringing it up. What do you mean she, what do you mean she had a baby two days after the, you mean early or something, is it? She, she had the baby two months early. Two days after she had the injection, this must be happening everywhere for the ladies, and they're injecting pregnant women now when they're going up for their um, their, their scans and all this without their husbands or partners, you know, because the women are very vulnerable when they go up there, and they're injecting them without, you know, they have no other choice. They're getting it, and we're seeing the the damage coming. So I think it's wrong. 
and it shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing it, you know? Well, what we have seen, actually, is uh, COVID numbers dropping and, you know, people not ending up in ICU and we're not getting deaths reported. So this is all because nearly, but well, over 80% of the population is fully vaccinated now. That's the upside well, to it, four and a half, well, four, over I'm four million people. Neil, they're playing with the stats and the charts, right? I mean, you get the chart that comes up there. It doesn't make any variable for the that most of these people that are getting it are now young, and they wouldn't have ended up in hospital anyway. But the government's aren't adjusting the charts for the variables. No, if you were an 18-year-old young for doing your exam and you done charts like that, you'd fail your leaving cert. And yet we have the government that are not putting everything into it. That's wrong. You know, they're, they're coming for the kids. They're already after getting the babies in the wombs. Mother of God. I, I'm, I'm of an age, Neil, where I can remember that wonder drug in the 60s. What was it called? Uh, Talidomide. That was the one, yeah, yeah. Where all the babies were born with old arms or short arms. That was science getting it right. That was the wonder drug of the 60s. Look at the damage that that's done. Yeah, but you know, you know Talidomide and, and other um, drugs that were used and it had devastating consequences. That's why they tightened up all of the protocols with regards to trialing vaccines. Oh, here I go, because people say this one wasn't trialed at all. Well, I, I, no, it's been trialed, and you were in the middle of the trial. But when I, you just after the trial five minutes ago there, and your phone's lit up with people that are having side effects, and the government are not listening to people, they're not even interested. You know, why would you continue with the vaccine programme if people are having dangerous side effects? They're getting sick, they're bloody dropping babies, it's going to cause it. They're now coming for the kids, right? And they'll probably get injected with this Romanian... Um, Jabs, some foils that we're getting in here next week, the 700,000 jabs. Yeah. The second-hand jabs that we're getting, right? Like, a month ago, we were told that these are coming direct from Romania. All right, and now yesterday, we were told they're not, that they're coming from Pfizer. So would you would you prefer us to be like Australia, then, is it? But so, let's examine where we are. Like, doesn't no, the, the idea of going forward, injecting everybody, and not taking, not standing back and seeing, does everybody need to be injected, is wrong. And your point in the email was regarding parents um, giving consent to have their children vaccinated. Right, so at present, at the moment, right, and remember now, a child doesn't need to be vaccinated, right? They are no threat to themselves and they're no threat to their peers and they're they're no threat to us and saying, or they're threat to us according to the government. Yeah, but, yeah, but sure, you can, right? it's like anybody that's... Any human can pass on the Delta variant at any age. Well, but hang on a second. No, we were told the children are no threat to us. And the government are using a law. If two parents decide that the child is going to get injected, that's fine. If one parent says no, the child must still be injected because the state weighs on the side of the parent that said yes. Now, that's a law that was brought in for different reasons, not for this. That was bought in for the health of the and child. And you're saying that um, if you are consenting, only one parent should consent because it will leave the legal avenue open to sue if your child gets sick, is it? Well, I, I'm telling everyone, only one parent consent. And if your child gets sick, you have a better chance of suing the state. If two parents consent, you're on your own. And why do you say that in 10 years' time, children who will be vaccinated will never forgive us? They won't forgive us for the IOU they have to accept on our behalf financially. But what do you mean by never forgiving us? I'm not worried about the money side of it, Neil. Neither is the government are spending mad. But if this goes wrong, if we get get this wrong with the kids and we end up with another problem like thalidomide, right? Which is possible. And we're not looking at it. 
well, then they will never forgive us for what we've done to them. We yeah. don't know what the long-term effects of this injection are. Well, we know what the effects have been in the last six or seven months. Uh, a drop in deaths, a drop in hospitalization, a drop in ICU, a drop in COVID, uh, the reopening of much of the economy. A pandemic will burn itself out anyway. The Spanish flu burns itself out after two years. So we were never going to go for a long haul forever. The pandemic was always going to find an answer itself. All right. Okay. And, and you take science. One more thing that only they, they, they keep saying, let's trust the science. All they're trusting is one piece of science. I might not have much science in school, but when I was going there, there was three parts to it. There was chemistry, biology, and physics. We're only doing chemistry. They don't care about the biology side, the normal side of your body. It's shut out, out, out the door. Okay. Only, and, and it's for the chemists, and it's for the factories, it's for Pfizer's, and it's for money. We need to really take stock here. All right, I got, I got a lot more calls to take, and I do appreciate your contribution. Thank you, James O'Hearn. First got in touch by email. Pick up the phone, text 0868-104-106. You want to get on the air, uh, 1850-104-106. The question I was asking is, have people been getting side effects? And if so, what? And from which vaccine? Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Regular contributor and an all-round great guy, Con Luxford, is on line one. Con, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are things? Nice to catch up with you, pal. Um, and tell us about what you... I know I know. Aileen is there with you, but you're talking on her behalf. What happened? Well, what happened was, Neil, Dave, uh, she went down to get the anesthetic, the second anesthetic, yeah. And as a result of it, she she was uh, came home, and when she came home, she wasn't well. And as a result, her day of her birthday on the twenty eighth of June, she uh, wasn't well. And her son rang her up, and he was wishing her a happy birthday. And he twigged there was something wrong with Mammy's voice. And when he twigged there was something wrong with Mammy's voice, they came up from Mallow to see what was going on. And as a result, went out to the South Dock. And so Doc sent us straight to the regional hospital and she suffered a stroke as a result of the anesthetic. A stroke? Did they, did they, did they confirm it was a stroke? Yes, they did indeed. They said, had it been anybody else, only for the fact she's already going blind, had it been anybody else that had normal sight, would have been totally blind as a result of it. Of the stroke? Of the stroke. Um, no, she was. She had visual impairment up until then. Has she lost all sight now? No, not quite. She still has a bit of her sight still, but uh, but has it has it de- has her sight decreased? Yes, yes, yes. As a result, no. Anything she's doing now, I have to do it with her, and our, our children have to do it with her as well. We can't leave her on her own for one second because she has she has also. A, falling around the place as a result of a uh, no coordination. And what was what was life like for her before the AstraZeneca vaccine? Well, before the day, the AstraZeneca, she was fairly okay. Uh, her eyesight was reduced considerably because of a disease in, in the family that she had also Okay, but other than that... Yeah. Other than that, she was great, but uh, as a result of the Anzenica, then it, it turned out now that she got a stroke, and now we have to be very, very careful. We don't know from no one. So wherever I go or whatever I'm doing, I'll have to be with her all the time now and hold on. 
It, because she she can't move around as well, is it? Is there? Oh, no, I, no. I hate asking because I know she's there with you. But is there is there some forms of paralysis now? No, no. Thanks be to God, does not. But from now and again, she she gets a bit of a stutter in her voice, and she's very conscious of everything that's going on. And yes. The way people yeah. then turn around and they don't understand when they see the white stick that she already has and. Uh, She's finding it frustrating to get her own out, and um, it's just basically that we have to do everything with her. And <laughs> did, did she's saying that her balance is gone? Our balance is gone, and it wasn't a problem before the no. vaccine. And did no. they did the, in the CUH? Did they say that the stroke was because of the vaccine? No, they did not. No. What did they say? It's South Doctor Drone and said it. All they said was in in the in, 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 in the regional hospital was she suffered a stroke and that was it. And she was there about ten days was it? Yeah. She was ten days in the regional and nobody could get in near her. And it's a bleed in the back of the brain uh, that, that caused the the stroke. And if they were to say to you that it was only coincidence, what would you say? I say that's rubbish. Never again will I ever let her get that anesthetic vaccine, ever. Even if it's only a pop-up, never again will she ever get one. I, now, whatever about any other injection, she'll never get that again. What's the name of what it's called? Um, Go on, clear. No. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the first one? She was, uh, like, when she got the first anesthetic as well, Niles, she was all over the place. She was a uh, coordination went down all over the roof. Her breathing was palpitations. Yeah. And do you expect her to improve? Does she's there with you? As I say, Aileen. Morning, Aileen. Is she expecting to improve? Yeah, she, she, like she's great in 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 the sense that she can walk around with me. She's uh, she's coordination on that aspect of it. But Rigel's been left on the one anymore, no, can never happen. Hi, it's Killian here. Weeknights from 10 with new music, some flashbacks, and a bit of chit chat as well. That's The Late Shift with me, Killian, on Cork's Red FM. Red FM. Yes, indeed. A lot of texts on different topics over the past couple of days and calls as well. I talked to Don in a couple of seconds' time, if you don't mind, but then I'll come back to it. We're asking the question anybody suffering side effects? Of course, minutes I ask a question like that, I get grief from people saying that I'm scaremongering, which is not. My intention. I just want to know if people are suffering side effects. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is, is COVID related, obviously. And uh, just another few uh, from topics of conversation from yesterday's program. Uh, and one or two of the texts that I want to do now are back to the silver key. Um, uh, what that man said uh, was after consuming alcohol, he probably exaggerated it, the figures and the numbers, just to show off. I never claim pup, but I don't know what other people do. Everyone should just mind their own house. And don't be worrying about anyone else. He's probably sick to his stomach about the whole thing right now. That's some nasty friend he has posting the video. Half the country lived it up during the pandemic, claiming three times what their real wages was. I don't know why, how, how can you say, who was claiming three times what their real wage was? I mean, who was paying them three, three times their wage? wage? Um, I understand you saying everyone should mind their own business. But this is kind of all of our business. If this has opened a can of worms as to people claiming grants and happy to be taking them and wanting it to continue for a long, long time, this is a bill that will have to be paid. I work for a big multinational medical company. I worked through all the pandemic. And through the months from April 20 to September 20, my company also claimed the wage subsidy. 
saying our productivity had dropped and we were still building products with numbers through the roof, having to work all sorts of hours overtime. All my employer saw was an opportunity from the government and took it like every other employer. And why wouldn't they? Now us, the taxpayer who worked every day since the pandemic started, has to pay this back, not the company. It's a joke, but when they're left do it, why wouldn't they do it? Well, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, you, you know, you, there is a tax on the pub, right? Um, but let's see if these people who fraudulently claimed grants and help and assistance, let's see if they don't have to pay it back because I think revenue, you know, they, I don't particularly think they'd lie down on this one. Do you see the way that some super pubs are still only doing outdoor dining and outdoor drinking, scrounging every last cent off their payoffs? They're still at it, Neil. Some amount of pubs are operating as cash bars only. Their card machines are out of order. There's many more from yesterday. I'd like to make a point in regards to the silver key issue. Maybe while while it was underhand by a so-called friend to film his pandemic rant, maybe he should choose his friends more carefully in the future. I would like to remind people of the George Floyd situation. If that wasn't filmed by passers-by, his family and the wider community wouldn't have known what happened to him. And his family would never have gotten justice. That's a very interesting text. Thank you for it. In your attempts to defend the owner, you repeatedly say he's possibly saying in his apology that his figures may be wrong. If this is the case, do you not think he has had ample time to clarify this? Stop making excuses from a blast of the Langer song would suit. Uh, again, uh, I, I don't know whether you are just being selective in what you're hearing. I'm not defending anybody. In any way, shape or form, one of the questions I asked yesterday is at, at what point in time is, a, is an apology acceptable? I'm talking about the figures because I'm still no wiser as to whether or not the figures that he gave out in the video are correct and accurate or made up. All right. So that's the point that I still have unanswered. Meanwhile, back to the phone lines. Donna, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? And can I just say thank you for your patience? I appreciate it. Tell me about your mum. Oh. Okay, so I just listened to the stories there with the other callers. She had her Pfizer vaccine on the 17th of May and she's very healthy. She's no high blood pressure, no underlying health conditions whatsoever. She just was thinking about going on holidays, really, so she wanted to get it, yeah. you know, just I suppose. Get it done, get the cert, yeah. Yeah, um, so she got it on the 17th of May and nine days later she had a bleed on her brain and she was in hospital for 10 days. Okay, now here's a text that somebody says that I'm scaremongering. This is all absolutely ridiculous. People get strokes, brain bleeds, chest pains every day of the week. Now it's all being blamed on a vaccine. Would you ever get a grip? Yeah, no, I actually, I think it is connected. I think there's a small minority of people that are having an effect from the vaccine. But the way they're going to look at it, like there's probably more people die from the COVID. So it's kind of being brushed under the carpet. That's my own opinion, but... I definitely think my mum's was definitely connected to her vaccine because she went into hospital. She has no high blood pressure. She came out with no medication. She, you know, nobody can explain why she had a, a bleed on her brain. It's just, it's a bit of a coincidence that it happened nine days after her vaccine. You don't think it's a coincidence? Oh, sorry. No, yeah, no. I think it was it was from the vaccine. Yeah, that's what yeah. Because I, mean. I looked at I looked at the side effects of Pfizer, for instance, and we know of many of the more common ones. The tenderness in the arm, you know, feeling tired. Yeah. Some people get headaches and muscle pains. Some describe it as a flu. Others as a really bad hangover, uh, joint pain, diarrhea. You get might run a fever for a while. Um, they're the most common, one in tens. The one in a hundred is yeah. nausea, vo- um, vomiting, redness in the arm. One in a thousand is itching, a rash, mm. swelling of the lymph glands and sleeplessness. One in, is, one in a million 
um, is um, inflammation of the heart. Yeah, I don't see anything about bleeds on the bleeds on the brain or stroke. Well, well, like just when. Like stories I've read on Facebook that people are kind of telling their stories. A lot of people seem to be getting clapped and strokes. And like, I do personally think my own mom is connected to it because she's a fine, fit, healthy woman. She's, you know, it just came out of nowhere. Like, the clot though, the clot warning is with AstraZeneca. Mm. You know, not Pfizer. Yeah, I know. But if you actually look up stories, you you get articles on different newspapers that things that like bleed on the brain has happened to people after Pfizer vaccines as well. How did you know so, she had a bleed on the brain? How did she react? What happened? Um, she was down. She was. She had a mobile home in Yall, and she was down in Yall, just passing around doing her bits and pieces, and she got a severe pain of her head all down the back of her neck, and she knew something was going on. So she sat on the chair and she. Like she got a fright, like she didn't want to move her head, so she rang my phone. We were up in the city, so we rang an ambulance. And by the time we got down there, the first responders were there, and they they checked her blood pressure and said that it was after spiking. It went very high, but then by the time she got to the hospital, they checked her blood pressure and, and they did on her they scanned her head and saw the bleed on the brain, and they kept her in. But like the blood pressure went down, it just spiked on that day and caused the bleed. And, and that was fine, exactly like, one week after the first dose. It was nine days after it. Nine. In an effort to be fair and balanced, do you not think that was a long time for a, a, a reaction to wait, you know, like nine days I, later? Like a lot of, some people have said to me that like your reaction can, if you're going to get a reaction, it comes within the first two weeks or the first 14 days. And like, I don't know where they got that information. Because I would have thought the f- next, in the coming days, you know, one or two days. Um, well, I don't know because like, who have you heard that? Things have happened in one or two days. You know, have you heard stories like or? Yeah, well, in, in, in my case, in my case, after the first dose, I was crocked the next day. Yeah. Um, I have another. I was talking to somebody it, else yesterday. Got the second dose of, I think, Pfizer, and was absolutely hammered the next day. Yeah. Well, my dad got it as well. He was actually grand. He just had a sore arm. He got it the same day as my mother. But I'm just saying her story. Just this is what actually happened to her. Nine days after it, just out of nowhere, she got a bleed on her brain. And they never said that it was connected to the vaccine, no, I bet not. Um, well, I suppose I can't say that either, but she was no. like kind of saying it's the nurses. They didn't say yes and they didn't say no. So, you know, there wasn't a proper answer. They don't know. So where is she now with regard? I know she's fine. Thank God she's made a recovery and they, they, yeah. they managed to sort out her issue with the um, bleed on yeah. the brain. But what's she going to do with the second vaccine, the second dose? There's no way, she said. No way she's going to get it. Like, we're presuming she thinks it's from that, like, and we all think it's from that. So she said there's no way she's going to chance it again. Like, she's lucky that it wasn't worse, you know. She just won't risk it, regardless of no. holidays or travel or anything. She'd be just too Absolutely afraid. Absolutely no way. Yeah, and she loves her holidays. But look, maybe there might be another way around it next year, hopefully. But no, there's no way she'll get it. All right. Okay. Donna, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. Okay. Cheers. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Let's open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. I haven't read. I haven't read up on what Arthur is saying, but I'm happy to talk to him on the air. Arthur, good morning. Hi. Good morning. Um, my apologies. I've just been given a, a two pager here on uh, an email you've sent me. So talk me through that. Um, yeah. So basically, it was just my. Um, uh, I live with two of my friends, um, two of my housemates, and one of them um, did get. Um, and take up with COVID and you know she exhibited the loss of smell and taste she was quite ill for a while and um, 
of course we had to be put down as um, close contact. contact. Yeah. So you um, had to get then you had to get a test. Yeah, we got the test. Um, um, my other housemate and I we got it done in the same day. Now, main, mine came back negative and his came back positive. So he had to put me down as a close contact um, once more. So on my second test, mine came back positive. And I exhibited no, no um, uh, symptoms. Much, uh, symptoms. So some people were saying, oh, maybe you're very symptomatic. Um, now, at this stage, it was already a week into um, our friend being sick. So we had to, you know isolate and um, I just started feeling very down about it and something was telling me in my gut that I don't know I just felt like something was off so I just you were you said in your in your email that you were isolating in your room for 10 yeah. days and you sank into depression anxiety and distress yeah it's like I'm a person who relies on on um, a discipline a routine and being locked away just knocked me off of my routine and if I'm sure like many people, if I'm just alone for too long, it, it's not good for anybody. No, you know? no. And no. Um, it, it, was, it was just unfortunate. So for that reason. Negative thoughts. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah just negative thoughts. And so I decided to do a, um, a third test within that time span. And um, it came back negative. The only four days after my positive one came back. Okay, so, so that's a negative, a positive, a negative. Yeah. Weird. So it, yeah. It just seems so strange to me, and um, you know. I, so within two, within seventy-two hours, you had two different tests with different results. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. Some friends were saying that you know it could be a false positive. Oh, I know, I know. But and what did you? So what did you decide to do at that stage then? Well, you see, at that stage, I got a bit annoyed because. Um, again, it took me off of my routine and I take my, you know, my martial arts training very serious. So, um, if it was a case of, um, of a false positive, I thought to myself, you know, if, if I might, I could have been, you know, a number of other people that fell victim to this kind of, um, error. And it just seems a bit unfair. I, I, it doesn't seem like there's any procedure to, um, take, you know, take action on the false positives. Like my issue was, are these false positives, are they counted as cases per day? I would think so, yeah. I would think well, so. Well, then that just doesn't seem fair at all now, does it? Well, if you're asking me, I would think they would be included, yeah. Positive would be a yeah. positive, even though if you don't have it. Well, if, if that is the case, now maybe it's not. But to me, it, you know, if it is, then I would personally feel very... Um, Did you stick to... Uh, the, you'd be very annoyed. Did you stick to the 10 days, though? Did you stay in that course. routine? Yeah, yeah. I had, even, even though I had to, because, you know, even even if it was a false positive or if maybe it wasn't, I didn't want to risk, um, you know, infecting anybody else if I did have it. You know, if it was an error on top of an error. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you did the right thing. I'm, I'm quite sure that, you know, most people did do the right thing. But although I do hear people who've, who've switched off the track and trace and stuff. I could, you say I couldn't see my family or help them moving house. My father suffers from a heart condition. The family could have yeah. used my help as it was a stressful mm -hmm. process. Um, yeah, of course. Like, and it's just, um, the unnecessary taking away of, um, being th that freedom, you know, for those 10 days. Um, oh, it's tough. I mean, I admire anybody that can do quarantine or isolation for 10 days. God almighty, it must be hell. And you know, like, I'm sure, um, like, I'm inherently an introvert, you know, I can deal with stuff like that. But now it's, it's almost a year and a half into this, this carry on. And 
it can take a toll on anybody. You know, I, know, matter I, know I know, I know. And do you mind me? Do you mind me just asking before I let you go? Because you did state it in the in the email um, that your family were being evicted from their previous home. Have they somewhere now new to live? They they do, yeah, and hence why um, um, it was like it was a sort of rushed procedure. They had to evict within a few days, and of course, within those days, I was in isolation, so. Um, that was an extra hand that they could have used. But they um, weren't happy so with the move, easy. though, is it? Well, they they, they were happy. Um, it was it was it was um, about a time you know they were waiting for a council house for almost nineteen years, and now they um, they finally got it. But the issue was that it was all the way down on West Cork, having to move all the way up to Cork, and no other friends to help. And I see. Okay. Okay. But they have their own place now, which is lovely. They do, fortunately. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right, Arthur, cheers for that. Thank you. Thank you for the email. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at neilredfm. And you pick up the phone one eight fifty one zero four one zero six by text with regards to uh, Catherine's opponent. It's technically within regulations. And with all of them vaccinated at the Marion, it was likely that it was safe too. In comparison, the comparison that Neil made to Golfgate, which was neither safe nor within the rules. Uh, ditto for the funeral of all the Sinn Féin that all of Sinn Féin attended in the height of the pandemic. So safe or not, they're all at it. Uh, for one side to point fingers at the other when their own did worse is just plain stupid and comes across like teacher, teacher, they had a party and didn't invite me level of pettiness. None of them are leading by example, and it sucks in my opinion. Beautiful piece of prose there, Ashley, and thank you for it. There there are still similarities, though, between um, what happened at the Marion and Golfgate in the sense that they were stupid enough to go to both events, whether it was right, regulation-wise or not. Um, you know, it's a different matter morally or, or how people would view it. Politicians going to a bash in the Marion during pandemics um, with, uh, you know, somebody else picking up the tab... <laughs> No, I don't think so. How are the similarities with Golfgate? Outdoor events are 50 and they're within the guidelines, says Laura. Yeah, they might be within the guidelines, but it doesn't always make it right. Uh, What we need to see is a full list of the attendees. Just like Golfgate, it is not a breach of COVID restrictions that is the main issue. It's the open cronyism and corruption and the peddling of influence, says Donica. Yeah, and how she got the appointment in the first place, right, Donica? At this stage, does it matter? They can do what they want. If people don't see this by now, then we're lost. They're a blight in the country and a cancer that must be cut out. So you cut out that cancer and as you put in, you elect in another one, is it? They should be given a fine, um, including the hotel. They set the tablets, the tables the night before so they knew they had too many people. People had only 24 at weddings. It is a disgrace. No, you, you wouldn't be able to find people because we now have found out that uh, all of it was in, in. It may have been wrong optically from the point of view of whether you should do something like that, but it wasn't wrong within the guidelines. In actual fact, we discovered... The 200 people can have a bash or a party or a gathering. Six per table outdoors. 200 of you. So what's stopping you? Anyway, text 0868104106. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm sorry that it took a few days to get to to chat with you. My my apologies for that. But initially Uh, you got in touch by Facebook, right? Yeah. About people not being allowed, because we were discussing it on the air, about people not being allowed to attend appointments with their pregnant wives. Your story yeah. was along those lives, although not pregnancy, obviously, because it involved your dad, who was admitted yeah, to dad. the Mercy Hospital and was very sad to hear, unfortunately, diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Uh, and then there was seven weeks when he was in there. Do you just want to pick up the story? 
Yeah, um, I'll just start. Um, just my, or he was diagnosed with prostate cancer 13 years previously. Um, and in September of 2020, my mom suffered a stroke. Um, and leading into Christmas, into January then, um, dad started acting strange. So we got a bit worried about him. Um, he was just doing strange things and acting strange and, Unfortunately, after being brought into the mercy, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer that metastasized to the brain. Oh, and that's why he was behaving erratically. Yeah, you didn't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So we we contacted the doctor here in where we live, and the doctor referred him to the mercy, the A and E. Um, he was brought in. He was brought in to the A and E. Um, he was kept overnight the nurse asked was asking him questions in the A&E and to go in on his own and everything yeah oh no my mum brought him up we got a taxi for him up because I, I was working so um, he went up mum brought him up into the A&E um, told the nurse what was going on the nurse asked my dad to leave the room to take a urine sample just to get him out of the room to talk to my mum and um, the nurse asked my mum did she think he was putting it on and that they'd keep him in overnight for observation and when mum was leaving the hospital she was informed that she would not be allowed back into the hospital once she left to get him an overnight bag do they ask do they do they ask the relatives of all patients whether or not their relative is putting it on putting that's the word she used was putting it on is he putting it on this and my it, mom said, I don't know. Because he was showing symptoms of being um, confused or, um, you know, dodgy yeah, on his feet or, you know. Yeah, he was very unsteady. Irrational and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, okay, go ahead. The reason we actually got him sent up there in the first place was I was dropping him in to collect his pension. And he was walking into the post office and all it was was a little stumble. He just stumbled up against something and I knew then something was wrong. Man rang the doctor. Yeah. And um, he was admitted then into the mercy. He went in, I don't know the exact date, he went in in February. It was early February. Um, He came home the 24th of March. Um, He, uh, sorry, no, Neil, I have it all wrote down here. You're all right, pal. He went, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, After a week in the hospital, I rang up just to ask how he was because we'd been ringing uh, at night time but the nurses that were on at night time they kind of spoke broken English and all we were getting was that he was good he had a good night's sleep etc and um, so I rang up I spoke to the nurse that was in charge of the ward she told me that my dad was after a stroke and I asked her was my dad going to die and she said no so uh, a week later, I was at work, and um, my mum. You know, when you, uh, and I, I don't mean to jump in, except from the points yeah. of view of clarity, if I feel I must. Um, yeah. So he went into the mercy. He was admitted, and your mum brought him there, and then she yeah. was told that she wouldn't be able to visit except for like fifteen minutes once a week, wasn't it? Fifteen minutes. Um, fifteen minutes, but it would have to be granted. She wasn't granted okay. visit for so you, till the fifth week. So for five weeks there was nobody going in, there was only f- phone contact. Nobody nobody allowed in. Nobody um dad didn't have a, he couldn't use a smartphone. He he 
he couldn't even use a button phone like only if you rang him but he couldn't charge it or nothing because he didn't know like he, he knew nothing about phones like okay, so okay. Like, incidentally you know, your, your dad Tony was only 59 um, 59 yeah yeah. Um, so, at what stage then was he actually told that he had st- diagnosed with stage four lung cancer that had spread to his um, brain? We they told my mum first. They rang her over the phone. She was on her own at home here because I was at work, and uh, the doctor asked her, "Alicia, are you um, are you sitting down?" And my mum said, "I am, doctor." And she said, "I'm sorry," or the doctor said, "I'm sorry to tell you, your husband has stage four lung cancer." And uh, I left work then because mum was on her own. I came home and dad always said to us that he never wanted to be in a hospital. His brother died in hospital and he never wanted to be put into one, kept in there and left on his own. Like. So we, we agreed that we'd bring him home and mum would look after him and I'd help out where I could with my brother's life. And in fairness, a girl, uh, Lisa, Lisa, my mum's friend, she helped look after him now as well and all over the couple of months we had three we had three and a half months of him at home um, so we were lucky that way so after but, um, after after did they try and treat the lung cancer I mean I think you no, saw we, I think it had spread to a lot of his body at this stage hadn't it including his brain uh, yeah. well basically we went to pick him up we were told um, we were on the way up to the mercy a friend of mine dropped us up um, just because dad was being kept in because under the Mental Health Act, because when they told Dad the news, he was alone. He had no one. And uh, he was just in the hospital bed. Uh, Have you any idea how he re- reacted to that news on his own? Um, no, it wasn't. It was because of the brain, it is a strange reaction. Like he, It was like he knew because he was losing losing things, and he, he knew himself some bit that there was something wrong with him. But uh, he was upset, obviously, spoke to mum over the phone when they were telling him. They couldn't bring her up and tell him there, even though she's a qualified healthcare assistant with no symptoms of COVID at the time. Um, And he was upset over the phone. And at this Uh, stage, we're into the middle of March, just gone. Um, And yeah, yeah, before he came home, he was still in the hospital. Say, for instance, he he, he left, he, he walked out of the hospital at one stage, didn't he? In his pajamas. On Patrick's day, on Patrick's day, he um, he went missing from the mercy. He walked, even though my mom, even though mom went up for a visit, and she was escorted out by a security guard and walked to the ward by a nurse, and told she'd have fifteen minutes now to take it or leave it. And um, no, I don't think she was told take it or leave it. But it was, it was. Let's be fair, it was fifteen minutes. She wasn't told take no, it or leave it. She was told take it or leave it by the nurse, the nurse on the ward. Those words were used. Those words were used. Yeah. Was she challenging it or something? Um, no, she, because she um, they didn't give her a visit for five weeks because they were told that, or she was told that there were six men on the ward, and Mam said that one of those six men was her terminally ill husband who could die at any time, and she persisted. Me, she persisted that she should be allowed to visit her husband that's dying, and she was told. That uh, she had fifteen minutes to take it or leave. Yeah, I mean, choice words, really. You know, it would have been much better if she said, "I'm so sorry," but all we can do at the present time is fifteen no. minutes. I'm so so sorry. No, those aren't the words. The words she used was to take it or leave it. 
Yeah, and that's uh, like that's like you treat somebody who's arguing the toss about a table in a restaurant, you know? Yeah. And, it's that uh, table, take it or leave it. Not when it comes to a loved one or a life. But he, so she was going in and out with security guards into the mercy, but he just walked out. He walked out in his pyjamas, Neil, and his um, slippers. And he was, he walked out and he was missing out of the, out of the mercy for an hour and a half. Despite us being told, one second there now, despite us being told that he could not walk, he was unstable on his feet, and that they had to keep him in the hospital for so many weeks because he was, quote, a danger to himself and others, that he took taken the news pretty bad that he had cancer, and that if he ever got out of the hospital, that he would throw himself in the river. And he was supposed to be under 24 hours supervised care. Was he in a general ward now or was he in a psych ward? Uh, he was in a psych ward. Okay. So he walked a out of the psych... psych team. A member of the psych team actually rang me up um, when just after we'd gone up to pick him up the first time and asked me over the phone that my dad had told her that he jumped out of a, a window of a burning building and slid down a pole and his legs were on fire. And was that true? Of course it wasn't. Yeah, and she was with. She was in the hospital. Need like, you know, I just felt like saying to her, "Take a look under the blanket." Like, does it look like? Or ask the doctor to take yeah. a look under the blanket. What's you know? the point in asking that? I mean, that was kind of silly, really, wasn't it? Obviously, you know, he, obviously he was hallucinating your dad with the issues regarding his brain. He was, didn't know what he was. He didn't know what he was experiencing. His memories were all, were all over the place. But who who found him in the city then? Um, we were actually weren't told, but at the time, but he was, uh, like he was, he was wandering around the city centre in his pajamas for an hour and a half in North Main Street. North yeah. Main Street, just a street off where the hospital is, and um, just uh, they were when before Mam was granted a visit. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the tunnel, the glass tunnel that connects the Mercy. Yes, I do know it. Yeah, he was told that did she want them to wheel him out on a wheelchair into the into the glass tunnel and she could wave up at him. That's that, heartbreaking. Yeah. They thought that they thought that was a suitable um visit. I know, but but I could, I could also get a sense that they were trying as well under very, very difficult situations. Now we were talking about okay, it was February. But yeah, February was a bad, dark time after the Christmas numbers, you know. They were possibly trying to facilitate as many other people as well as you and your mam at the same time, you know. Yeah, but the problem is, Neil, that they they couldn't leave my mam in, but they let my dad out. Well... He, he didn't get a, he didn't get permission to go now or a green card. No, he wasn't. He he no. he left the hospital under his own steam no. and, and shouldn't yeah, have. But clearly he was exactly. unwell. But he uh, could have ended up. He could have thrown himself into the river. Into the river, and if he did, what situation would we be in now? Thanks to the mercy. Yeah. Now, I now I I just want to want to say that we don't we don't believe whatsoever and hold no grudges against the mercy that they contributed to Dad's death in any sense of the way because Dad was a smoker for 50 years. He he had lung cancer. But the treatment that what they put my mum through, they were asking or telling her to come up to pick up washing bags. She li- Or we live, I'd say, my mum doesn't drive me. She, and they knew she was after a stroke. And uh, we live, I'd say, 40 minutes from the city centre. 
and she had to get the bus up to collect the washing bag one day and it was pouring down rain and there was three items in the washing bag. Oh, man. That's, oh, man. That's infuriating. It really is. And that's that's the times we're living in, Neil. You know, I, I saw Donico O'Leary's speech about, in the dial about his wife, uh, yeah, his partner, and uh, the fact that was that childbirth, he, wasn't it? It was, yeah. To, that's I actually I, I messaged Pat Buckley. The why? What was it, what was he saying? Was he praising the CUMH or something like that? Is it? No, he was saying that they kept him out while his wife. They thought that she was having um, uh, a miscarriage and that they wouldn't leave him in with her. Oh, he was saying that this is not to- this can't be tolerated anymore. The restrictions on Vizia. Yeah, very, very little has changed actually at the CUMH. Um, forgive me, forgive me, Liam. I'm, I'm trying to give the time that your story clearly deserves. But Tony, your dad, eventually yeah. left home um, and went to Marymount. Did he? No, he didn't. He never left home. His wish was to be a home. Okay, home. correct me on that. Then go ahead. And uh, when he first came home, we were told in the hospital that he didn't suffer from um, what you'd call delirium. It's uh, when you uh, tumors in the brain, uh, you start to imagine things that aren't there. And the first night Dad came home, he came home at seven o'clock on the twenty fourth of March. He went into bed. He went into bed. He was in bed and all for ten o'clock. My mom called me down the stairs. Dad was sitting up in a pool pool of sweat. Um, he he said that the guards were outside waiting for him and that they were going to arrest him and I said dad there's no one there that's just that's in their head explaining to him despite being told that he did not suffer from any delirium in the hospital whatsoever and that's um, he, might, he might have been you know he might have been suffering it. he might have been yeah uh, but mam, mam mental made, turmoil like, mam, mam works in like a she worked before she got the stroke. She worked in like a hospital slash hospice, so she'd be used to you know cancer, what way it affects people, and and she knew what it was, and she she knew that if he just suffered it that day, that that it wouldn't be possible. I mean, must have been getting it all along. And I know, I know, and this is of course because the the diagnosis of of cancer of the brain um, was that an isolated um, incident, or did he have more like that? Um, he, he after a while it started to go away, but he'd have it during the day kind of thing. You know, he'd say like, "Oh, the guards gone down there." You know, just uh-huh. past the window, and there'd be no guards past the window. And, and how long was he with you? How long was he home? We got three, three and a half months, but we lost seven weeks due to the mercy keeping him in. We lost seven weeks time. Now, in the mercy, the doctor said after I went up to bring him home. Uh, we asked for a meeting with the doctor because they told us they weren't leaving the home after getting the spin up and only 15 minutes before being told he could come home. I asked the doctor inside, um, is or would you, or did, I was told he had a stroke and this week it's lung cancer. Would you misdiagnose people like that often? And they said it had all the looks of a stroke. And to which we replied, we wanted to know what, we wanted to know exactly what was wrong with that. They did tell you that he walked out of the hospital, did he, and was wandering in the city or North Main Street? They, um, they didn't tell us, they didn't ring us up the day he walked out. Mam had a, um, 
a visit the next day and the nurse called her aside before she went onto the ward and said, uh, in, in, this is what my mum told me, that she said, Tony done something very bold yesterday. He left the hospital for an hour and a half. We found him on North Main Street. So very they told bold. Her, they, they didn't tell her at the time. She didn't do anything bold. bold. He's, he's ill. He's ill, yeah. yeah. He, was a, he had brain cancer. And lung very cancer, bold yeah. is like a word you would use. Oh, I don't know, you might use that word for a child. Did your dad, and he passed away on the 22nd of July, didn't he, with all of you with him? He did. Um, he wanted, the way he wanted it to be was him and mum just together and to, he didn't want his kids um, to see to see him die. So he died and uh, Lisa, my mum's friend that was helping her look after that, she came up and got me then and he was gone then. Would you have liked to have been there? Um, like I spent enough time with him, Neil, over the week because um, he was supposed to die the Thursday previous. That's what we were told. We got called that he was going to die, taking a turn. Um, we had nurses, two Irish Cancer Society nurses for one night. One night, that's all we had. Mum um, and Lisa did the rest. Um, they, they stayed uh, for the one night, two days, so it was the Saturday, and they told us after we'd woken up, we came down the stairs that he'd gone to the next stage. Yeah, I know. And I know. and we didn't understand what the next stage was, so I entered the sitting room where Dad was, and um, he he had his eyes open. He was he was asleep for days, but his eyes were open. He had a thing called um, the death wrestle. That um, when you can't swallow your um, your spit yeah. or anything, and that was extremely loud. And he did look in some distress, so I called South Doc. Um, South Doc came out, lovely doctor, gave him um, more morphine and um, just something to dry up the the rattle. I know so, the death rattle, yeah. And he passed away. He passed away, but um, just. Looking here now for the, we were offered um like mum 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 was after a stroke through all this and you know to to show like we always say now like the bravery mum had to look after dad and the strength to take him to the toilet on her own look after him feed him every day she there wasn't a minute she left him alone only for one of us minding uh, minding um minding him to so she could go into the shop or get something. Did your dad did your dad ever talk about um the cigarettes? Uh, you know he was only 59 and you said he was a heavy smoker all his life. His cigarettes killed him. Did, did he did he have awful regrets about that? Um no, he, he loved he loved that's all he had in life like it was just his his cup of tea and the cigarette like, you know. He used to or he gave out the drink I'd say 2 years ago. He didn't do anything else. Like he just, he was happy out, just sit down, drink a cup of tea, smoke a cigarette, watch the racing. Like you know, so no, he didn't want his kids smoking. But unfortunately, some of us take up that as well. But he, but he, he surely must have regretted taking up cigarettes. Um, only maybe fifty nine when he does another thirty years on the clock. There, no bother. Yeah. That's what we said, like, is, and it was just like catching catching cancer early is the big thing. Anyone that's listening there now, like, when dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer, they said to him, um, 
catching it early is huge. And unfortunately, he had an appointment with a doctor in the Mercy, his cancer doctor, a year appointment. And um, I think it was either they cancelled it or else dad cancelled it because he was worried about going into hospitals with COVID. But just, um, we were, our mum was offered um, 45 minutes a day home health. 45 minutes. And when she asked, or when she asked what they'd do, um, that they didn't do or cooking, cleaning, uh, none of that. They could, quote, fluff a pillow or sit and talk to him. Yeah, um, well, there would be uh, a lot of hygiene issues that home help does or healthcare workers in the home. You know, they would they would wash, uh, change, take to the bathroom. Yeah. If it's a commode, they will help with yeah. the use of that. Mum did all that. She's a, she's a qualified healthcare assistant. Like she did all that. The support there for people dying of cancer and the families of people who have cancer is horrendous. If you ask me, like we we had one night with nurses overnight, one night in seven, and we had a dying man in the house at the, at the last stage of lung cancer, dying, and he was left with us. I had South Dock out twice, once in the morning after um, the nurses told us he was gone to the next stage and again in the evening. Now, the nurses in Marymount, the nurses that came down in the morning were very good in fairness. They they changed the driver they put in because he couldn't swallow tablets because he, he was asleep. So there's like um, a syringe in the machine. Right. Yeah. It pushes in the... I remember it. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. And um, they were good to us, in fairness. They they, they talked to mum and said how she was doing such a great job and that um, she she shouldn't be disappointed because she, like, she tried, she tried her best meal, you know, and she, it, if there was more people out there, like, mum, like, that would... Now, I understand why people can't bring people home to die, you know, because of the service, because of the... The supports just aren't there for mm. people, mm. and people have to go into the likes of Marymount and be surrounded by six sick people mm. for the last couple of weeks or months of their lives. Like you know, mm. well, it sounds to me as if she must have been absolutely exhausted herself, but she still ploughed on regardless. I think, she, as well as well as that, I think it's a great tribute due to you to say kind things about your mother and indeed your dad. It's. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and, and I hope you're happy with the opportunity to share your story. Much of it very, very sad and clearly unacceptable, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, like, she loved him, you know? That was her one thing that she'd never... They promised each other that they'd never leave each other die in a hospital or alone. Or, and she, like, even though she was after a stroke in September, and she wasn't allowed to go back to work because, you know, obviously, the after effects of the stroke... And she was still able to look after him, wash him, you know, clean up that, still clean up the house. And I know. Well, well, look, I, I know that you're grieving the loss of your dad, you know, 22nd of July. It's very recent, but, you know, look after your mum as well. She lost her life partner. I, you lost your dad, I know that, but. No, yeah, no, we understand that. Like my brothers and stuff, they they ring her and in fairness, now my dad's family, they're good to my mum. Like they ring her up and check how she is and call down and stuff. Just you know, the, 
the small things. I know. Just I know. for anyone, like, don't, or just, when I seen Donica's video about the, the hospitals, it kind of hit home with me how we were treated and what the government is actually doing to people. And, you know, it might, it might not be the hospital workers themselves, Neil. They're just people, you know. These people we elect to the government and a chief medical officer who we all know the scandal about the cervical cancer years ago and I was just reading a headline the other day that he came out and he offered sympathy to these people but he would not apologise even though he stood over it at the time and these people are left in charge of the country and if you see what they're doing to people like well, yours is, a, yours is a case history that everybody has heard this morning. Thank you so much for sharing, Liam. Uh, and again, our condolences to you and the family on the passing of Tony. And indeed, yeah. to, your, to your, your super-duper mother. Yeah, thanks, Neil. I appreciate that. Right. You were busy this morning. Thanks very much. Not at all. Never too busy to take a call. Appreciate it. Thanks, Liam. Take care. Back after the break, text 0868104106. We'll pick it up in the morning. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Yeah, I do a double competition tomorrow, lads, for Photo Wildlife Park. Uh, I just didn't have the time this morning, um, and I'll pick up on that in the morning. See Radio Carrier reporting on what looks like one heck of a party in the Healy Rays pub in Kilgarvan. They said uh, video, and I've seen the video, appears to show at least a lack of compliance with public health advice, no mask wearing, no social distancing. They're all drinking at the bar, and it seems to be in Danny Healy Ray's pub in Kilgarvan. But they don't mention, when we look at the videos, an awful lot of them are topless, and they're dancing on tables. Um, apparently, they did ask at Radio Kerry, uh, Danny Healy Ray, to comment. He said he wasn't aware of any such gathering, but the video of it seems to be taken with the mobile phone of Councillor Mora, Healy Ray. So I think they're asking her for comment, but it's one heck of a party going on indoors in Kilgarvan in the Healy Ray's pub. So imagine there'll have to be questions answered on that as well. Lines will stay open at 1850 104 106. Text 0868 104 106. I'll see you tomorrow. The voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday. Cork's Red FM.